Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, January the 20th, 2023. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we have my man Dom Vitali in the house talking about all things pro wrestling, professional development, and just his overall life journey to help you guys crush it as we move into the new year. But before I jump into that real quick, some housekeeping things. One, the Jeremy Scott Fitness app, if you guys have not yet popped in there, we'll give you a free seven-day trial. It is jeremyscottfitness.app. The link is in the show notes. We are dropping our Bodybuilding Basics program in there on, I believe, February the 13th is the date. But again, if you guys want to hop in, you can try it for a week for free. See if you like it. If you think it sucks, obviously, I'll help you guys pick somewhere else to go. But all my personal weekly workouts are in there, all our full programs and all the nutritional content, mobility flows, and everything else. So if you guys want to check it out, hit it up, jeremyscuffinness.app. It is live now. And you guys already know this episode is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens, the one thing I take every single day and I never miss. If you're somebody who struggles to eat enough fruits and vegetables, and let's be real, all of you guys do, this would be the one thing that I would take. So if you've never tried it, maybe this is the first episode or the 550th time you've heard me talk about it, we'll send you a free pack. I don't care what state, country, providence you live in. If you have a mailing address, we will get some to your front door. You can try it for free. See if you like it. If you do, you get hooked up with the free stuff from there. Right now, we'll give you guys a year supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with order one. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott. To me, it's the best tasting greens on the planet. Is it a milkshake? No, but you've all drinking much worse things at the bar than this, and that was bad for you, and these will at least help you be healthier and happier. So if you want a free sample, just ask. Same goes for all the stuff over at our friends with Beam CBD, all the Dream products, and all the, uh, the hydrogen collagen mixes. We have free samples of those too, so Beam tlc.com if you guys want to check that out you can use the code jeremy scott for all the discounts otherwise just ask you guys we have a ton of free samples here in house we're just trying to ship them out to you as fast as possible always a mouthful so my man dom vitale in the house welcome thanks jeremy appreciate you having me on man yeah dude so let's uh let's go uh origin story if you can tell these guys like who you are what you do you can go as far back as you want to go yeah um so i was just a kid that loved wrestling you know hulk hogan was my man back way back in the day in the 80s um and you know I, i was hooked from the first time i watched it with my dad and it's just something that i really never grew out of um, going through adolescence, I always was trying to like talk my friends into like watching it with me and liking it with me and they, they wouldn't pay any mind. And then we got to like high school age and wrestling blew up and like everybody started loving wrestling at that time. That's like stone cold and the NWO and all that stuff. So it became super mainstream. So everyone was a fan. So finally I had like my, my friends were, were wanting to watch it with me and go to the events with me. And this was new and it was awesome. And then, you know, right as, as the time, like we're graduating high school, they all kind of grew out of it and I never did. Um, but somewhere around like 16, 17 years old, I was like, I'm going to do this one way or another. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to do this. I don't know how it works or anything like that, but let me try to figure this out. Um, and right after high school, um, I was fortunate enough. There was a wrestling school about 20 minutes from where I lived. And I didn't know that at the time either. So I befriended one of the wrestlers there. And when uh, you when you say wrestling school for people who are listening, like, yeah. what, the, what the fuck is this guy talking about? It's a pro wrestling school. Yeah. You know? So basically, there's a ring set up, and there's guys that are in the wrestling business that will teach you how to do everything. So from bumping is what we, you know, when you fall in the ring, it's called bumping. Yeah. Running the ropes, the maneuvers, the psychology of wrestling, you know, how to put a match together to make it make sense. 
and actually how to defend yourself too. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of intricacies to it. And back then it was a little bit harder. I had to like nag this person to let me train. I'm begging him, begging him, begging until finally, all right, I'll shut this kid up. And you know, first three, four weeks or so, they're just kicking the shit out of me in hopes that I would like fucking go away. Is your, <laughs> your high school age or just after? I was just after high school. So right, you know, about 18 years old or so. Did you play sports before all this or no? Yeah. In school, I was a baseball player. Okay. That, that was my biggest thing. Um, I dabbled in, you know, football. It wasn't really, I didn't really like it that much. Um, my mom never let me play like pop Warner. She was afraid I was going to get hurt. So, so you picked wrestling. Yeah, exactly. After when I was old enough, Yeah. <laughs> but I played like, she finally caved into football when I was like a freshman. And by that time, you know, all the other kids my age already had experience and they were well, you know, much better than I was at football. And when I was riding the bench, I was, I was like, oh, fuck this. I don't want to do that. I want to play. And I was, as a baseball player, I was starting, you know, I was a middle infielder. I was a great you know, athlete for baseball. And I wasn't used to that, you know, not being in, you know, in the starting lineup. Yeah. And so I just got rid of that. Um, again, my mom wouldn't let me do amateur wrestling in school. She was afraid I was going to get hurt. You know, I, I wanted to do anything and everything, but baseball was, was my wheelhouse. Um, but after, after high school, that didn't accumulate to anything because I, I think about 16 years old, I discovered this glorious thing called alcohol and it totally consumed my life at I'm, that point. I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it. So, you know, just trying to dabble in, in wrestling and figure that out. Um, and then having like a social life too, and not trying to like, you know, reduce that. You know, I really wasn't picking up any steam. I had a big ego as a kid, you know, as a young kid in my early twenties, I thought I was the fucking man. You know, and every I'm, 20 year old dude out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. right. Go figure. And I'm wrestling on events and there's guys that are getting better spots than me and, you're, you know, wrestling better guys than me. And I'm like, how, you, how do you not see how fucking great I am at this? I don't understand. Meanwhile, you know, I'm completely blind to the fact that I'm not in good shape. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm brand new. I'm a baby in this and I'm not as good as I think I am, you know? So I kind of just like let those sorrows drown in alcohol more and more and more. And it really like reduced the quality of work I was doing in wrestling. And it got to a point around like 05, 06, where my back was really fucked up. And I don't know if it was a combination of like the job I was doing or the wrestling or maybe both, but like my lower back was fucked. I was in immense pain. So when you're doing this, like you have a real job, right? yeah, a real job and you're trying to do this on the side. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're training, you know, there's no money in that, you know, yeah. even as you're coming up in wrestling in the, what we call the independent scene, you know, it's the, the farm system of wrestling, not a lot of money to be made. So you got to supplement your income somehow. And so when you walk in the door, like early on, obviously most people listening like have watched professional wrestling, like whether it's Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, like mm -hmm. the, like the Golden Era, or if it's the Stone Cold, The Rock, sure. all that stuff. Like you watch it your whole life, and then you would mimic it as a kid. Like we would do it in our backyards. Like when I'm a kid, there was the they're like the pillows that the, were like the wrestling, the wrestling buddies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, those are fucking great. Um, so we'd like wrestle with those, and like our friends would do it because like when you're when you're a dude, like you're playing football, you're doing mm -hmm. all the normal stuff. Um, how little do you know when you walk in the door? Even if from watching it your whole life, you think, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Like how much of a reality check is uh, that? That's exactly what I was going to say. It was a huge reality check. And I'm a very, um, when it comes to wrestling, I was always a very analytical person. Yes, I would watch as a fan and be entertained by it. But I would, once I figured out I want to do this, I would watch it with a more keen eye and figure out how are they doing that? What, how does this all work? And when, I, when it transitioned into me actually doing it, the physical piece was not that difficult for me. It was everything else, else that I thought I knew that I had no fucking clue about. Like, there's so, there's so many nuances that even people that 
think they know everything about wrestling now have zero clue about because you're not in it. And you really don't get a good, good taste of it until you're in the trenches and you kind of fall on your face a bunch of times. And for like the average person, like when, I mean, everybody's different, I'm sure, but how long is that trajectory for somebody who actually does make it? It, it, it depends on the person really. Um, and that's a question I get because of wrestling school. And that's the question I get from people that come in and meet with me the first time. Well, how long is it going to take for me to get my first match? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have no idea. You could have two left feet and it could take a year and a half, maybe never. Or you could be a freak athlete that just gets everything. And after six to nine months, maybe you're, you're rocking and rolling. But there's guys that have you know, made it to the tippy tippy top, like Brock Lesnar. I think it only took him about four years, you know? Yeah, but Brock is like <laughs> a super athlete. It's you know? like if like a boat pulled up to like your island, like he's the fucking Viking that comes to yeah. like basically kill the yeah. whole village, bro. Like, obviously, I'm from uh, Minnesota, so just, like, watching him my whole life. Like, even when he's, like, because he wrestled for the U. Like, mm-hmm. when he's in college, dude, he looks like a, like, not a human. Yeah. Like, yeah. he looks like, again, he tries out for the Vikings, doesn't make it, but never played football his whole life. He's Division One national champion. He becomes UFC right. world heavyweight champion. And, oh, by the way, then just wrestles. But he's, like, you know, <laughs> he's a unicorn, dude. Yeah. Like, he's freak of the freaks yeah. for sure. But for a normal person, I guess it. I guess it just depends. Obviously, like you know, with your personality and all the things that go yeah, into it. Yeah, there's. It's so hard to put a timeline on it because there's so many different factors, most of which you don't even consider. Right timing is is huge, and we can't figure that part out. You know, where you got a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin, that's one of the biggest stars ever, and it's like, how come they didn't realize that ten years prior? You know, and it's like, well, it wasn't the right time. You know, and he was in the right place, right time, and he blew up. It's crazy, too, because even a dude like him, like, you look at old, like, high school pictures, he's fucking jacked, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just all, like, they're kind of just freaky. He, not everybody, but you, they're the freaks that really stick out to me, like him especially. Yeah. Um, and you talked about this briefly, and we'll just go into it since it's here. Like, you found alcohol, and you started drinking it early on, but you haven't had a drink in f- almost 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like I said, I got hurt, you know, 05, and I was like, okay, I'll just fucking drink. I'll take some time off of wrestling. In, in my brain, it's like just a little bit of time, you know, which turned into an extended layoff to about a year and a half or so. Um, and I was, you know, validating that by saying, oh, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. You know, and I probably could have figured it out and gotten through it. And, and it wasn't a, an, a, an extremely debilitating injury where I needed surgery or anything like that. I just needed some time to rest, maybe some therapy, things like that. And I would have been okay. But I completely brushed that off. And about 07, I moved out here to Arizona. You know, sight unseen. I had some buddies out here like, come on out here and move. And I'm like, well, I got fucking shit going on. I did the same <laughs> exact thing, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was sick of the New York winters because that's where I'm from originally, um, upstate, which is even worse. Yeah. You know? And I was like, fuck it. I got nothing going on. I had quit school at that time. We quit college. Um, I was just working. I was drinking seven days a week at the bar every single night. And I'm like, well, change of scenery will do me well. well how did that start, though, too? So you're like, hey, I'm, I'm working my job. I'm wrestling. And you're probably just socially drinking at that point. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets to like, well, fuck it, I'm going to drink every day. Yeah, I was kind of like, I was a very functional alcoholic. Like, I always had this this idea of I, I could go to work when I needed to go to work and pay my bills and all that stuff. That was never an issue. I'd always make it to work. I had a job that was kind of flexible with that, which kind of helped. Um, but it started just socially on the weekend. You know, Friday, Saturday, let's go you know, to the bar and hang out. And then it's like, oh, these people go on Sunday. I'll go hang out with them. Oh, we've got people going Thursday. Let's go Thursday. We get it early another night. And, oh, Tuesday is a, a special night at that bar. Let's go there. And I was like, oh, Monday night football, you know? Yeah. And I just kind of it, – it, it wasn't on purpose. It just kind of was like a waterfall effect and just kind of followed suit. And it really caught up with me 
uh, you know, quickly. And I didn't realize that. I thought it was the coolest thing. You know, where I'm from, everyone either has babies, does drugs, or gets drunk. Sounds familiar. Uh, (laughs) Not for everybody, but I I do know. Maybe that's like, because we're like how far upstate, like Buffalo? Like Albany. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, pretty much parallel to, to Buffalo, just a little bit more east. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's like if you're, and I'm generalizing here for everybody, don't crush me on the internet. But if you're from this area and nobody really leaves and everybody kind of follows the same pattern and does mm-hmm. the same thing. I talked about that with a buddy a couple of weeks ago. Like he was here out for a wedding, a friend of ours. And he was asking me, he's like, Hey man, do you think your life could be different? I'm like, fuck yeah, bro. If I got in like one different vehicle or I just chose mm-hmm. two different friends and I did two different things, like this whole trajectory of my life would just be in the shitter. Like, I'd be at some factory, probably drinking whiskey every single day, smoking cigarettes. Like, no offense, I'd look like a bag of shit on top of all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just wouldn't be this person or or dead or in jail or whatever. And it's weird. It feels like, for me, similar to you, the change of environment was like, I had to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, just even remotely get my shit together. Yeah, I thought the change of scenery was going to do it. And I think every alcoholic thinks that. It's like, oh, if I move, like everything will be fine. But you take the same person with you. It followed me, man. It followed me right here. And it was worse here. Better oh, weather, oh, more shit to do. Oh, way more know? fun here. Yeah, yeah, I was like, this is great. you know. And I'm with my, my high school buddies at that time. They're, they had just they had graduated college by that point. So they're living out here. They're having fun. They can control their shit better than I could. You know, They all have their vices, too. Um, but I was just living it up out here. I, was, I just thought this is going to be life. And slowly but surely, like things started getting a little bit rougher, you know, um, feeling feeling worse physically and emo- mentally, emotionally, um, regretting a lot of the decisions I was making that were fueled by alcohol um, and just waking up more and more. So saying, wow, fuck, I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to figure this out, figure this out. And just things got progressively worse and I didn't hit rock bottom, but I saw it coming. Thank, thank God I did. And I was like, I gotta fucking do something about this. And I remember it was um, when the, the giants played the Patriots out here for the Super Bowl The first time, the, the helmet catch game. Oh you know? bro. Like when Moss is killing yes, everybody. Yes. And they, lo- they are undefeated the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. Losing the Super Bowl. Super Bowl was here. I had a, uh, some buddies were out from New York to, to go to Westgate to watch, you know, participate in everything. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to drink Super Bowl weekend. And if I can get through that, I'm good. I know I'm good. And I white knuckled the fuck out of that weekend. And I made it. I was the driver. I, I didn't touch anything. I got to meet Tim Brown, who was like a childhood hero of mine. I'm a, I'm oh, a Raiders fan. That's crazy. So, you know, by walking through the parking lot, no one knows who the fuck Tim Brown is except for me, which was preposterous. You know? That's awesome. But I'm like, dude. So it was a cool weekend, but I was like, okay, I made it through. I'm good. And I realized very shortly thereafter, like, who is this way harder than I thought it was going to be? And, you know, and I, my friends, they cared about me, but they were ball busters. They're like, you're not going to stop. You, you can't stop. It's not, that's not you. And I, I, I'm the type of person, I've always been this type of person where if you tell me I can't do something, fuck you, I'm going to do it. And that actually like fueled me more to shove it in their fucking face to, to tell them I could do it. Even though they're my friends and I cared about them, I'm like, who the fuck are you to tell me I, I can't control my own shit? So thank God I, I worked with a guy who I really looked up to at my, at my day job at the time. Um, and, you know, he had, a, he had a girlfriend, he had a kid, but he had a good life. He was happy and he was the only sober person I've ever met in my entire life. And I, it just got to a point where I was like, I want what you have, man. Like, what, what do I have to do? And I told him kind of, I was about three months so dry, sober at that point, yeah. just fucking on edge emotionally. It's a fucking mess, depressed, sitting home. Didn't want to go out, go out anywhere, do anything. He's like, come with me. 
So he brought me to an AA meeting, you know, and, and I went with him and it, I, he connected me with a sponsor. And the first question the sponsor asked me was, are you willing to do anything or go to, were you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? And I was like, yeah, I am. And from that point on, it, it, I was rocking and rolling. I stayed in AA for about a year, um, about a year in, I just, something didn't click well with me anymore. It just wasn't my thing. However, I learned so many, so many good things from that program. So I said, I don't need, I don't feel like I need to be here, but I'm going to take a lot of the, the tools that I learned here and apply them in my everyday life. And I still use all of them today, a lot of them today. And I maintain some of those connections to those guys as well. Um, so, it, you know, even though I'm not in those rooms anymore, I highly suggest anybody goes that route to get started for sure. Um, but I, I wouldn't have what I have today without it. So you were doing it, you just decided, hey, like, because I'm sure there was times before that where you'd have, wake up and be like, man, I can't keep doing this shit on, you know, Thursday morning and then Thursday night. You're yeah. cr- crushing, what is it, beers or whatever? Yeah, what beer was, was my thing. Yeah. yeah. So you're crushing beers again. You're like, fuck, I'm in the same loop over and over. So yeah. you make it through Super Bowl and then you're just basically gritting your teeth for three months. Yeah, just, pretty much like avoiding human contact, you know, like how old are you at the time? Uh, about 26 or so. I feel like it's tough, too, where it's like. If you do it now, it's like, well, again, the era of time is different too. Yeah. Uh, but when you're like 46 or 36, it's it's weird because alcohol is like the only drug that you have to explain to people why you're not doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like, hey, man, why aren't you going to snort cocaine today? Like, people kind of <laughs> yeah, fucking we get, get it. it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, with booze, they don't. And I think no. when you're younger and you're a dude, excuse my language, everybody, it's like, well, you're a fucking pussy. You're not going to. Yeah. That's just the culture of being a man sadly a boy like in that bar setting like if you can't drink as much as this guy he's more of a man than you it's just like whose dick is bigger thing yeah and i think like when your friends are young they don't get it because you're trying to change a culture that's been established Mm -hmm. because you're the guy who drinks 20 fucking beers yeah and now if you're not that guy well who am i it was an identity crisis it really was it's like i don't have that what do i have and that's kind of where i i kind of replaced it with another addiction wrestling yeah. I, I came back to wrestling at that point. I was like, cause I was depressed, you know, I didn't have anything going on. I was going through the sobriety piece and it was tough. You, know, you do a lot of introspective work and you realize all the fucked up shit you did and how you've negatively affected people's lives at times. And you're beating yourself up, but that's part of the recovery process. And I would tell myself, like, well, what do I, what do I love doing? What did I ever enjoy doing? And re- it always came back to wrestling. I still kind of, I still watched reg- you know, religiously. And I was like, that made me happy when I, made that commitment to do that. And I did it like, that was so awesome. Why don't I fucking do that again? And I, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to figure out how to get in back into the scene here out in Arizona and I'm going to do it. And that, and I did exactly that. I found a local wrestling like organization, like a smaller one, went to one of the events, talked to the people and I, I told them, Hey, I got some experience, but treat me like I'm brand new. I got to get back into this thing. And they did. And it was onward and upward from there. Yeah. So when you go through, like all that stuff, like especially when you start, you're going to meetings every week? Uh, for me, I was going to at least once a week. Yeah. yeah, every Sunday, every Sunday night I would go, even on Super Bowl Sunday that first year, <laughs> you know, we're there. And yeah. a lot of the guys didn't want to be there, but it was one of those commitments that you make, and that trumped everything. So we were talking football while we were there, while the game was going on. Yeah. Um, and I think the year a year later, the Cardinals were in the Super Bowl, and we were there on Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. Was it Steelers? Yeah, Cardinals Steelers. Yeah. yeah. So they had like the game on silent while everyone was talking. <laughs> you know, it was no wild. Shit. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. Because I've heard that from a lot of, we had a lot of people come on here, similar uh, kind of experience. Some people go all the time. Some people mm-hmm. still go yeah. years later. 
Yeah, there was the one thing. It was like go 90 meetings in 90 days. That's a huge thing for a lot of people. I never went that route. I would do my, my once a week. Occasionally, I'd jump in in the middle of the week with a friend if they wanted to go or something like that or, or anything like that. But I just was trying to just have this new sense of structure and kind of know where I was going. And I was like, okay, Sunday nights is my A night, but I'll have my, my outreach with my friend, my, my sober friends at that time. During the week, we'll check in with them, see how they're doing, grab just a basic dinner. Like to me, that that's just as effective as an AA meeting when you can go and sit down across the table from someone that's you know, going through the same thing you've done, whether they're currently doing it or have done it. Like I would do a lot of that type of stuff, like, you know, dinners with sober friends and stuff like that. We just shoot the shit and realize we can have fun and like not drink. Like I remember one of the first outings I ever did sober was I went to a rancid concert with, with my sober friend, my, the buddy that got me sober. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, this is how it's going to be, man. Like I'm not used to this. You know, I would go to hip hop concerts, rock concerts and get fucked up all the time. And I went to this and it was, we were sober and I was like, oh, I can actually remember what happened. Like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's weird because it's like, I don't think people start off with that either. Like it just becomes, we adopt, you know, the behaviors of people around us and it just becomes mm. this cycle we get into, but to replace all your old stuff, just doing it without drinking for a lot of people who are listening has got to be like, well, fuck dude, That seems like it would never be fun or, or wouldn't be possible, but obviously you would do it, especially for the, and I guess what I'm asking is like when you're going through the steps, like they're cool with you doing it the way that you want to do it. Yeah. For the most part, you know, as long as you're not, you know, essentially abusing the system where yeah. it's not going to work. If you're like, oh, I can have like one glass of wine with dinner. Like if you can, you're probably not an alcoholic. Like me, the old saying is, you know, one isn't enough and in, or a million is not enough and one's too many. And that was the case for me, yeah. you know? And uh, yeah, it's hard to, to readjust your life. You get so accustomed to these things and you think, okay, I got to just take alcohol away. And you think, how the fuck am I going to function? How, how am I going to go to a football game? How am I going to go to a family outing? What are they going to say? And that's a, that's a justifiable feeling. I, I understand that. But you have to understand, when, if you can fast forward and look down the line, you'll be able to look back and go, I don't have any of this unless I went through that. And it's a struggle. It's hard. And it's meant to be hard, just like with anything. If you want anything of value in life, you've got to go through some shitty circumstances and do some shit that's going to hurt. So It's weird because I know there's people who listen like, well, I could never you know, not drink. Like, yeah, they, they can. Yeah, that, that's bullshit. That's what the story they're telling themselves. You yeah, because I was the same guy. Because we think like we go to stuff like I remember we went my wife and I went to ASU was playing Washington State. We went like a couple weeks ago and I'm like, I don't drink at most things. Mm -hmm. But then I look around. I'm like most everybody else does. Like it becomes a thing. And I'm, I'm not to judge. Like I don't give a shit. Do what you want. But I'm like, I feel like people sometimes think that they can't even do it. Yeah. Like, well, I, I literally can't go to this game because it won't be fun if I don't drink a beer. I'm like, it's the same fucking game, dude. Yeah, it's a mental, it's a mental fuck, really, what it is. And I, I kind of put myself in a position early in my sobriety to kind of test that theory. So um, I was maybe like a year or two sober at the time. And I, against people's better wishes or judgment against this, I started bouncing at a, at a bar in, in, in town here with my tag team partner. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and it was just like. That seems like that would be rough. It was, but it was fun, man. It yeah. was a bunch of the, it was a bunch of the wrestlers that were there working there, so it, it. I didn't need the job. It was just like a way to fucking hang out with my buddies and you know make a couple extra bucks on the weekends we weren't traveling for wrestling. Um, but what it did was, you know, I would work the door, so I check IDs and then I'd have to receive everybody that was getting kicked out for being too drunk. And you know, you would think like, man, you could be around all that all that drinking and partying and stuff like that, being that new sober. And it was like, oh, I don't know, we'll see. 
But what it did for me was just seeing the way those people acted when they got kicked out of that bar. And I was like, fuck, man, I was that guy, if not way worse than that. And it it really turned me off to it and kind of opened my eyes and was like, do you really want to go back to being that guy? And I think it kind of scared me straight a little bit where I was like, I'm never going down that road again. You know, and God forbid, I, you know, or thank God I haven't since then. So now like you, so once you become sober, your Friday nights just look different. Your Saturday nights just look different. And like, do you still keep the same? I'm just interested like early on, especially like you're a dude in your Mm twenties, which is tough because your friends are still probably like in the life, a good number of them. Yeah. You you, you still have, they're still your friends. They are. And I had to kind of disconnect a little bit from them, you know, not completely shut them out. Um, eventually they became understanding of my situation and why it is I decided to make that decision. There was, there was never any pressure from anybody to, ah, oh, come on, have one. Once they, they feel like, Oh fuck, he's like serious about this. So I did have the disconnect there. We would still, you know, associate at, you know, during, you know, some, sometimes some events and stuff like that. Um, and I could be, I made sure it was a time when I could be around it and be, be good. You know, I, I wouldn't put myself in that situation if I was like, eh, I might kind of dip back into it. So, but eventually, like those those relationships dissipate because you don't have you know common interests anymore. You're a little bit more ambitious, you know, especially for the guys compared to the guys that are still abusing it. For it's a sure. much different story than just kind of socially doing it. Um, so I kind of just not on purpose, just kind of happens. You kind of distance yourself from that, and you find your new set of people to kind of associate with and spend your time with that are their values and their goals are lined up a little bit more with yours, and you gravitate towards more that more towards that. Kind of leave the other people behind. You don't have to really cut the tie altogether. You can still care for them, love them, um, but hey, I'm not I'm not interested in doing the same things you guys are doing anymore. Yeah, especially like when you're younger. Like in your I'm older now, I got friends that still. I got a buddy who call him Kid Rock because he basically looks like Kid Rock and he <laughs> fucking lives Kid Rock's life. Super successful at his job. But like we hang out and we do, but it's like I'm older now. So he's like, yeah, well, Jay's going to come and just not sit here and do drugs and get shit faced with us. But I'm like, he'll sit and watch the Vikings game where it's fine. Yeah. But I guess early on, yeah, that would be the tough, the tough progression for sure. Yeah. It's like a complete shift in your life. Like you're so accustomed to these people doing these things with you at these times. And it's like, okay, no more of that. Now you got to completely change it. And now you're spending your Friday nights at home. You know, and for me, it, it was either spending them at home, watching old wrestling tapes, trying to study something that I wanted to do, or maybe reaching out to one of my new wrestling friends and saying, hey, you want to go to the gym or something like that? You want to just go hang out? Um, and to me, that was much more healthy. I was developing relationships with people that were more aligned with my goals, and I could pick their brain and get something from it rather than, you know, regressing going the other way. So you're basically just trading a drinking habit for a new addiction. Yeah, a lot That's, of a lot of addicts do that, you yeah. know. And I'm guilty as charged, man. And but I'm I'm so glad I chose that addiction over the other because you know who knows where I'd be. I mean, do you ever think about that? Like, hey, man, if I didn't quit boozing, like, where would what's what's the trajectory I would be on today? Yeah, I wonder that all the time. And and you know, I'm Facebook friends with old friends from back home, you know. And I look and man, I I, I moved out here in '07, you know. And I look and they're doing the same stuff that they were doing back then. And I'm like, good for you guys. If you're happy, I'm like, but I feel, I feel bad for them in a, in a sense. Cause I'm like, you don't even know what else is out there. Like, that's all, you know. Yeah. And that's all I knew until I was like, fuck it, I'm leaving. And it took me a little bit to figure it out out here, but this opened a whole new world for me moving out here. You know, it's the best decision I've ever made besides getting sober. It was moving out here, but moving out here is what facilitated my sobriety. So, I guess now when you go out socially, like it, because it's been so long, it's just, 
Yeah, it's nothing. At this point, it's I don't. It's not even a fleeting thought anymore. Was there a time know? like early on where you're like doing it, where you're like, man, this this sucks? Like we would just say no to stuff and not go, or maybe you're going but you're like dreading it because you're like, well, fuck, I'd really like to do it like I used to do it. Or you at the point? I guess I'm sure it's a progression, right? Yeah, it is. It is, and it would never be like I, very seldomly would I try to avoid something altogether. But the the main hindrance for me would be like, what are they thinking? What do they think of me? Yeah, but that's part of the recovery process too. You learn to not give a fuck about what people think of you, especially people that don't matter. I'm more, I more care about today what the people that I, that I respect think about me. I think that's important. Um, so that was my biggest hang up was like, what are they going to say about me? What are they going to do? They're going to think I'm weird. Yeah. Well, I'm like, maybe they're the weird ones that are thinking that of me, you know? Well, I think early on people think that, but it's, I think over time, then they gravitate towards what you're doing. Cause most people are like, well, he can do this and not drink. And he probably doesn't feel like a bag of shit and mm-hmm. his body probably isn't breaking down. And yeah. to me, it was always, I don't want to give away tomorrow for today. Yeah. Especially cause like I couldn't have two drinks. I'm going to drink 20 fucking beers, pee my pants and have about the wall. <laughs> exactly. Like that was a dumb shit I would do. And I'm like, I just don't yeah. like the person I am. But, yeah. but people would try to talk you into, like, for me, like, oh, man, just have a drink. You know, it'd be fun. I'd go, bro, I don't think you want that person here. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a good human to be around. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, um, it, it got to a point where, like, you don't realize that people really may not even see it. That, you know, it might even bother, it might not bother them, like, as much as, as much as you think it does. You know, and I've had numerous occasions over the years where people are like, wait, you don't drink. And I've hung out with them in multiple social situations where there was alcohol there. They're like, and it would come up and I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't drink. And they're like, wait, what you don't. And I'm like, no, they're like, I could have swore. I saw you like, I'm like, no, they're like, wow, I had no idea. You know? So it wasn't even a thought in their mind. It was more so back then me thinking, Oh, what are they, what are they, are they looking at me? Are they thinking like negatively of me? And that was probably never the case. Well, I always think like we think the world like, well, it's our own ego statistical bullshit oh everybody's gonna judge me i'm like dude no one gives a fuck true they're too busy with their own bullshit to deal with it <laughs> except with booze though it's the only thing where it's like it's kind of weird man because people like it's the only thing people want you to do like with them yeah. like if you're eating if you go to dinner and like you order fucking oatmeal and this guy orders a steak he, he's not gonna like make you order what he orders and vice versa like mm-hmm. we don't all it's as arbitrary as like just drinking coffee like hey let's get together and have a coffee or have a beer we could fucking do that and eat asparagus. It really mm-hmm. is. We've just made it into these things. But with the booze, I feel like it's people, they want you to do it with them. Yeah. And it, it's weird though. It is. And I, I'm not the type of person that's going to sit here and be like, nobody should drink. Like, I don't think that. Like, if you want to drink, go ahead. Like, just don't let it get the best of you. You know, don't let it consume your life. Um, but it does have this weird social construct where it's like socially acceptable to get all fucked up. But it's not socially acceptable to get fucked up on drugs. To me, it's like, what's the difference? I know. You know? I wonder if like we get there with, well, I don't know, man. Because I, I think of it now, because obviously you can smoke weed and do edibles. Mm-hmm. And fuck, half the time there's people who come in here and they're fucking high. Yeah. I wouldn't even know until they would tell me. Right. Which is a, a great skill, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, but I wonder like when that becomes acceptable. Like you're just baked as shit. And mm-hmm. like you can just be high as fuck and nobody cares. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. With the booze, it's... To me, it just feels like it's like programmed in from, you know, maybe years and years and years ago where it just becomes this thing. And I always joke here because you're, you know, probably the same age as me, where when I'm a kid, there's like three beers, mm-hmm. like Budweiser, fucking old Milwaukee and like Bush Light. And now <laughs> it's like, dude, there's 800 yeah. beers. There's 800 wines. I don't remember any of this shit as a no, kid. No, IPAs and all this. Other, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Give me yeah. a Bud Light. That's, that was my thing. I'll drink a case of that. I'm good. <laughs> it is. a. It's just socially just a weird thing. I'm always curious when, yeah. when people come on to ask. So you basically, you kick that, 
and then you're like, Hey, I'm just going to pour myself into, into wrestling basically. Yeah. And I rededicated myself to it and things kind of picked up pretty quickly. You know, I, I started training out here and someone was like, oh, you look like you've done this before. And I was like, I fucking told you I did it for like seven years before here. It was my tag team partner who eventually became my tag team partner. He's not a good listener. So he never heard that part, Yeah, yeah. you know, but him and I, um, really developed a, a close friendship early on because he was one of the main trainers that was training um, at the facility where I came back here. Um, we developed a relationship and we realized we had a really good chemistry against each other. And we decided, hey, let's combine forces here and kind of see what we can do together. Um, and we just started rocking and rolling and hitting the road. So like in that, like the pro wrestling world, I'm assuming for people who don't know, like, and I know enough, like I watched it as a kid, so I'll list all my favorite people as we go here. <laughs> but the addiction in that world has to be crazy too. So for you to mm -hmm. go from like, if you said, Hey, I'm going to quit this and go do yoga. Like I kind of get it. Cause it's more like, you know, yogis are their own. Sure. I love all you guys. They're their own thing. Um, but the wrestling world is, is really interconnected to like, I don't want to say drinking and partying, but it kind of feels that way. It, it historically it was, it yeah. really was. It's maybe subsided a little bit now. Like they always, there's a saying like back in my day, there was like, you know, drugs, booze and guns in the locker room. And now it's like fucking video games and pot, you know? So it's, it's much different. Cause isn't, have you seen that? Um, I've only seen clips of that, like Ric Flair. Yeah. Documentary. Yeah. Have you seen that thing? I have. I just watched it recently, bro. When he talks about boozing. Oh God. It yeah. seems like it's fake. <laughs> right. Like how, how is he not dead? How is that? Not, how is that even possible? Yeah, at dude. The time? And that it, it, going back to the social construct of alcohol, it was historically been especially important from a social aspect in wrestling. Cause a lot of the, the socialization between the, the wrestlers and the decision makers and stuff is done in a bar normally, like after a show, like the you business, know, like the business. The business yes, exactly. So you say the business is done in the, in the car and in the bar, one of the, you know, in the car, on the way to and from towns and in the bar, if you're staying after the show, everyone's kind of together and that's where you network and stuff like that. So everyone's getting fucked up. So that was a huge piece. Um, but thankfully, you know, I, the, the people I connected with in wrestling out here and I, I told them my history and kind of, you know, what I was doing and where I came from and the, the, the addiction piece, they were very understanding of that. And they, they never ever pressured me into doing anything, whether it was alcohol, drugs, anything like that. If anything, they, they encouraged others not to, to do that to me, which I'm very thankful for. Um, and, you know, we, there, there used to be like this reunion that we, wrestling reunion we go to every year in Vegas. And it was a fucking shit show for four days. And I didn't participate in that piece of it. But I was there partying, hanging out, networking, having fun, doing all the shit, just not participating in, in drinking. And that surprised a lot of people. But even there, there was very, maybe one or two dumb shits that were like, ooh, ooh, you know, you have one. But everyone else is was like, yeah, we leave him fuck alone, man. He don't do that shit. I think that's like a lot of people who listen who just like are in the business world. Mm -hmm. Like it's pretty common. Like you go to these business conferences or people are doing stuff like happy hours before and after. And if you're not in it, I'm sure there is an adjustment period for sure. Yeah. But when I think of wrestling, I just think of like some wild ass dudes, man. And there's, we've got plenty of stories, yeah. you know, I've seen a lot of crazy shit like that. And that's, that's part of it. And it, you know, wrestling's changed, you know, over the past 10, 20 years or so. It's a little bit more subdued now. It's a little bit more calm. Um, there's much different, lighter personalities involved in wrestling now. So uh, that could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It just kind of depends on how you look at it. Well, yeah. And now, like we were talking about this earlier, you're getting a different level. Like not saying like, you know, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, he's not an athlete. Mm -hmm. 
but you're getting a different level of athlete now in a lot of cases into into like pro wrestling. Yeah, you're getting freak athletes now. You yeah. know, where you know back in the day you like, had your your big dudes, the Warrior, you know, Hogan, yeah. big giant guys. I heard Ultimate know? Warrior sucked as a wrestler though. Yeah, he was terrible. Is that true? Yeah, he was. Because I heard Hogan like talking well, shit about him one day. Here's the thing, you know, you can say, well, was the Ultimate Warrior a great he, wrestler? He, he died, right? He did. He passed away a couple couple of years ago, actually. Yeah. Um, very sad story too. Um, but he in the ring where his matches like technically phenomenal fuck no but that motherfucker sold a bu- bunch of tickets yeah dude so how bad is he you know and that's the gripe about hulk hogan oh hulk hogan's a terrible wrestler uh wrestling's not even around today if it wasn't for that guy he's the michael jordan yeah yeah babe so ruth he's it, all time yeah it just it depends on your perspective like when you say is he a good wrestler well what do you mean do you mean like did he was he box office or did he technically know all the maneuvers? You yeah. Because I remember just Hulk was like, it must have been like a, a reel or something where Hulk Hogan's talking shit about him. He's like, the, yeah. whatever that, where where he wins both belts. Because I remember like, again, I'm WrestleMania old, 6. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> on the cover of the WWF wrestling magazine. Yeah. And he has both belts. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so badass. <laughs> you know, and I can't watch in real time because we're broke and I couldn't fucking yeah. afford it. So I get the VHS later. But I remember Hogan's like, yeah, dude, during this match, like he wants to basically quit. Yeah. And not do it. And he's like, no, man, fuck you. We're wherever they are sold out. It's Toronto Skydome. Which is crazy. Yeah. 70,000 people or so. Dude, isn't it? Imagine that. Like to do fucking pro wrestling. Right. In front in, of 70,000 people. That. Like I think the largest crowd I wrestled in front of was maybe 6,000 or so. So I, 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 that could be more than that. It was at the Tucson Convention Center down in Tucson. It was for a WWE uh, SmackDown taping. So it was obviously it was a big crowd, and that was just like, whoa. This you're, is badass, yeah. You, you know, you're coming off down the ramp, and it's got the big screen, and you're getting that WWE ring, and you're like, this is fucking badass. This is what it's supposed to be like. And now multiply that by 10x. You know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, dude. holy shit, can't even imagine. Like the adrenaline rush, for sure. Yeah. I always say that to people. Like, I played sports all the way through college, and I try to tell these young kids, I'm like, dude, just enjoy it, man, because like, that's never going to come back. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this. There's none of that here. Yeah. There's no adrenaline rush. There's no highs and lows. It's just, I love it, but I'm like, it's just not the same. You see, like you mentioned Flair, he actually wrestled a match like a couple months ago over the summer. How old is he? He's 70 something, mid seventies now. Dude. Yeah. His fucking heart's going to explode, <laughs> but he, um, he wrestled a match and it's like, why dude? Like, why are you doing this? And if you watch the documentary, you know, he's got a lot of issues and stuff like that. But if you pay attention, there's a lot of wrestlers that are old that just can't fucking get re- go away. And I get it. I'm 41, and like I want to go away. I've been saying I'm. This is my last year for the past like 10 years, or well, five, six years, and that's not the case. It's so strange. It is this that adrenaline rush you're talking about. Just coming out there and being in front of those people is is a drug that cannot be replicated. And it's, people always say like, if you could bottle that feeling up, you'd be a millionaire. Oh, and dude. it's hard to give up. I always say the time like it's like for if you're running out in football or basketball, like and the crowd is cheering like you're or when you're playing in the game, like you hit a jumper, you know, you can be winning one minute, losing one minute. I'm like the highs and lows, they don't come in normal life. Like I don't care mm-hmm. how great you are at selling fucking insurance or how many real estate deals you close, it's not even remotely the same. Yeah. Like there's not never one time where we get a monster check that comes in or I get a great opportunity and I'm excited, but there's no like Yeah. I'm just, I don't want to say I'm dead inside. That's a terrible way to say it. I go, but it pales in comparison to that. So I can imagine even if you're 70, whatever, and you're rich as fuck, you, there's nothing you can buy or do Mm. no drug you can take. That's going to basically fill that void. It's like a little of an ego boost because you are emotionally manipulating a crowd of people. You are doing things in, in, in senior, you know, getting a reaction from them that you want. Yeah. And that is a very good feeling to say, I did that you know whether it's 
I want them to cheer me and be by my side, or I want them to want to stab me in the parking lot after the show because of what I did here today. It's yeah. a cool feeling. It's like uh, how I'd imagine like stand-up comedy. If you're yeah. like you own the room, yeah, you're yeah. Chappelle, you're mm-hmm. Kevin Hart, one of those dudes. Yeah. So you're doing this, you're going through, and then when do you start your own like pro wrestling center? How does that even come about? Yeah, so that was never in the cards. Like, I never really wanted to do that. I would occasionally go to wrestling schools around and, like, hey, can I teach your class tonight? Like, like how many know? are there? Like, in, in obviously, the Valley is, like, 6 million people. Is yeah, in a- the Valley, I think there's one, two, three, four, four or five or so, and that's between, like, here and Tucson. Oh, so not a lot. No, and quality levels, you know. Varies. Like, it could be the fucking janitor across the way here saying, I'm going to open a wrestling school and buy a ring and do it. Does it count? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of subjective like that. Well, it's like fitness. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, yeah, it was never in the trajectory. I would feel like we would do things here and teach people, you know, occasionally here and offer suggestions. The longer you wrestle, the more knowledge you have. Obviously, you want to pass it down and people end up looking up to you because you make a name for yourself and you're respected and they're like, hey, can you watch my stuff and tell me what I do wrong and what I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing right? And I always like that piece. I always like giving feedback to people. Um and then I was I was training at a, uh, some classes out of another school locally here, and th- just it didn't match up to what I thought wrestling training should be, you know. And I'm just like, you know, they're like, there's people training there that will have no business being in a wrestling ring that are probably a physical liability themselves or somebody else. And I would go to the owner and be like, dude, like this guy shouldn't even be here. And like, oh no, keep make sure he stays, he pays. And I'm like, fuck that, man. I don't want that anyone's blood on my hands because of that shit. Well, that's the you problem, know? too, because it's a business model. But mm-hmm. some of these dudes, I guess, is it because they're going to hurt themselves? Because obviously, the the statistically speaking, to make it to the show, whether it's Major League Baseball, NBA, WWE, it's pretty fucking low. Yeah, yeah. But you got guys coming in just paying, like they're doing it as like a hobby. They're just bullshitting, but you can get hurt doing it. 100%, 100%. And that's the difference is like, what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for a hobby or are you doing it to make a career out of? Yeah. And my school now, it's if you're not looking to do a career, this place is not for you. Yeah. Um, You know, and there was those types of situations that kind of really rubbed me the wrong way. And I was like, I don't want to be associated with that. So I was just like ready to be like, eh, fuck it. I'm just going to go. I'll just wrestle. I don't need to teach anybody anything. And, um, one of the guys that was actually training at the school, he would come to my classes a lot and he ended up quitting wrestling, quitting wrestling training. And he decided to be a, um, a ring announcer. I was like, Oh, the kid's got a good look. He's in good shape. Like he was a smart kid. Like I wonder why he quit like that, you know? So once he caught wind that I was going to just wrestle and not teach anymore, he's like, Hey, have you ever like thought of like opening your own school? I'm like, fuck that. No way. Yeah. <laughs> not a chance. He's like, well, why not? And I'm like, eh, I don't know. He's like, would you humor me and like, hear me out? Uh, you know, I'm like, all right, whatever. He was a good kid, you know, and we sat down and he invited me over to his place and he mapped out kind of his thoughts on things and he explained why he was coming to my classes and nobody's else. He's like, I felt like I actually learned stuff from you. It made sense. It was structured. It was, it wasn't just kind of throw spaghetti at a wall and see what stuck. It's, you could tell you cared. And he, he laid out this, this like idea for a wrestling school. And he's like, I can't do it without you. He goes, you're, you have the experience, you have the connections, you, you know how it works. Because I think I have something to offer on the back end. So he was like more of like an administrative type of role. And I'm like, you know, and we laid it out and I'm like, this does make sense, you know, and, and it took some convincing from him on my part to do it. But eventually I was like, all right, let's, let's look for a place and see if we can make this happen. And we, we set up a very firm like mission and goals that we had in mind. And it wasn't really based on 
let's make phenomenal pro wrestlers. That was part of it for sure. Yeah. It was more so let's do that, but let's make some fucking really good people at the same time. And him and I share a lot of common values in life in general. So it was a good match. Um, and we, we found, uh, we found a space. We went, we rented a ring from a friend of mine for the, for the first little bit until we got our own. And, and we just kind of used our, you know, my name notoriety, whatever it was at the time locally here to, to recruit some students. And that was four years ago. And here we are. So it's like it's probably like a little bit of a cult, like following in that world. Yeah, it's it's so niche. Wrestling is so niche. You know, I tell people that all the time. Because half the people are gonna be listening. Like, what the fuck is this dude talking yeah. about? I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, you got to get out of the fucking wrestling bubble. You got to realize people don't know what you think they know about wrestling just because you know who X Y Z is. The fucking guy bagging your groceries doesn't know who the fuck that is. No. You know, like so you got to get out of that world and, and realize you are. It's so contained. So you, what does a ring cost? Uh, brand new, probably about like six or seven grand, maybe. And oh, then, it's not crazy. And then depending if you get it shipped out here, that's another couple grand on top of that. Oh, yeah. Know? So so what is like your facility? It's uh, AZ Pro Wrestling Training Center. Yeah, Arizona Pro Wrestling Training Center. Hashtag training AZ. So <laughs> what is it like when you go in, you just guys got just a big like warehouse space or something? Yeah, right now it's a smaller warehouse space. We've got an 18 by 18 foot ring in there. Um, it's big? Yeah. And then we have like, so, you know, a small workout area with, you know, a bench, squat rack, stuff like that. All completely, you know, matted around, padded around the ring so no one's falling on concrete. And then we have like roll away like jujitsu mats as well that we, we use at times. So and we have an office space as well. Yeah. And so this is what you do. Yeah, for this the most is like a real job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very time consuming. Yeah. You know, um, we, we're only open Monday through Thursday, but I always tell everybody it's like we're always open, we're always on. You yeah. know, we, there's always fires to put out. We also now we don't just do the the school; we put on actual live events throughout the valley too. We do a lot of charity events too, so we're coordinating those throughout the week as well, um, and making sure all you know everyone's available and the venue's secured and you know checks clear and a variety of different things. So there's a lot to it. And so for everybody who like listens and like, wow, it's just, it's fake. Like break that down. Well, it's me. only fake when I lose. So that's, yeah. let's get that out that's, of the way That's right bullshit, now. right? <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah. obviously like you guys, yeah. uh, there's a business side of it, but the impacts are all real. Yeah. And, and you know, the cat's out of the bag or the toothpaste is out of the tube. You know, I, I get that. But the, the thing I, I would, I would hope people would understand. And I, and I know it's, they won't necessarily understand just out of the blue, but I want to convey that that wrestling is very taxing on the body. You know, it, it, there was a study done a couple of years back where they say every bump that you take in the ring is the equivalent of getting hit by a cart like 20, 25 miles an hour. So sure. it takes its toll on your body. And I, like I said, I've been doing this 21 years or so, 22, yeah, 21 years now. Um, I had, I've never I've done a, occasionally some crazy quote unquote things in the ring, you know, falling through tables and a steel cage and stuff like that. But for the most part, played it safe. And I got bad knees, bad back, bad neck, and I've been getting treatments on them for the past like probably 12 years or so. And so the the risks are very real. There's plenty of people that have died doing what we do. There's people that have been paralyzed doing what they what yeah. we do. And I think just people, you know, on the outside and no no fault of their own, they watch the show and they are, oh, that's like a big trampoline, you know, they're having fun. And it's all fake, obviously. There's a lot of theatrics to it for sure, but the impact is real. Gravity is real. You can't fake gravity. You're falling on, on that, that ring, and that ring is, is you know wood on top of metal with a canvas over the top of it and a, and a small pad. 
It's it hurts. Yeah, because like when you well, shout out to my man Jan Ornstrom who sent me his wrestling video today, uh, wrestling Crime Time back in two thousand seven. <laughs> um, but he's a big dude. He's like six four. He's got to be two fifty if he's a pound man. Like, and he's falling on the mat. Like, that can't mm. be great for your body doing that eight million times. So when they're the the mat itself, I guess the wrestling ring. What is the bottom? It's plywood. It's or like something? there's there's steel beams across you know that go across it, and yeah. then there's like these. I don't know the measurement, but these big, long wooden boards yeah. that go, you know, there's about 20 or so that go across the ring. And then you put your, you know, depending on the ring and whose ring it is, a little, little area pad, maybe about an inch or an inch, inch or two thick. And then it's wrapped in a canvas. So it's so like when you fall, does it hurt? Every time. Yeah, no Every shit. single time, you know? And some dudes, like, sometimes people just get, well, I've seen some of those clips too where they're, was the one where Vince McMahon like sprints in the ring and tears both his quads? <laughs> tears both his quads, right? Yeah. But he just sat there. Yeah. That's I don't know how up. the fuck he did that. That's fucked up. Well, I, I imagine like if you're like how he was probably in his fifties or some shit. Who knows? Yeah. But it's like when you don't like warm up and just like all out sprint, it'd be like taking a frozen rubber band out of a freezer and trying yeah. to pull it apart. It's rough, man. And it's people, you know. It, you can prepare as much as you want, and like I said, every every bump does hurt. You may not feel it when the adrenaline's through the roof. You feel it after. For sure. You know that's the biggest thing. And I've I've we have people come you know into the school all the time, elite athletes that look like a fucking Greek god, and they take one bump and they're like, Oof, I don't know if this is for me. Yeah. You know, and it's like I I get that, but this is something we do every day. You know, and and minimal rest sometimes. It's it's hard. Because from like a durability standpoint, like I've heard all this stuff. Like you've seen like Hulk Hogan's had how many like back surgeries yeah. and shit. Yeah. Um, Undertaker's had I think he has two new hips. You mm-hmm. hear all these stories of these dudes when they're really going at a good clip, or I mean maybe it changes as as they go. How many days are are these dudes wrestling a year? Yeah, so it has definitely changed over the years. Where like the heyday Hogan Warrior, they're on the road 300, 330 days a year. You know, that's like actually wrestling. Yeah, sometimes twice, Bro. twice a day, sometimes. That's gone now. That's not, it's nowhere near that now. I would say before COVID, maybe on the road 160 to 200 days. This is a WWE schedule I'm, I'm talking the about. The big time, yeah. The big one, yeah. Um, now it's, it's much, much, much less after COVID. They kind of reduce the amount of like little shows that they do that aren't on TV. Yeah. Um, so it maybe it's, you know, they're on the road maybe 100 days, 150 days a year, somewhere around that probably. Um, if you go to the lower level, you know, the independent scene, you know, if you're a good wrestler, that's very sought after, you know, you're, you're wrestling probably every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, minus one, one weekend a month. So that adds up too. So it's, it's, it takes its toll. Cause those, the guys who are not in the, you know, the WWE yet, they're basically trying to get in the show. Yes. That's yeah. everybody's goal. Yeah. And it should be like, how hard is it to make it there? I think it's extremely hard. I don't think it's impossible. I think you, you, I think a lot of people aren't honest with themselves about what it takes to get there. Um, and I think that's kind of a piece that holds them back. But, you know, I, there's a lot of guys that know what they're looking for, what it takes, how to get noticed. And they'll get that, that opportunity. Like I got, we got a really good friend of mine. His name's Alexander Hammerstone. He's one of the more popular wrestlers out there right now in the world that's not signed to WWE, but they want him, you know, and it's because he looks immaculate it looks like thor you know he's jacked out of his mind yeah but he has a work ethic that's unmatched not just in the gym but like everywhere and that's the type of person that makes it in wrestling and everyone thinks like oh but i love wrestling i have such a passion for it i don't give a fuck about your passion like that every anyone can say that show me or show them and you know very few people can actually you know show them exactly what they're made of 
Like to get there and then obviously stay there. It's hard. It's a cutthroat business. You know, you, you, the last thing you want to do is get hurt because your spot is now up for grabs and someone's got to take that spot and someone's waiting for it. And by the time you get back, like you better be ready and willing to, to do what it takes to get your spot back. And there's a certain level of like, uh, what do you, whatever you want to call it, like showmanship or like you have to be a, an entertainer. Yeah, 100%. Because like all the dudes, like if I'm trying to think back, like, I mean, if you, other than like, let's say if it's Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, do you have like a handful of favorite dudes like all time? Me? Yeah, I do. And it's usually the guys that talked really well on the microphone. That's what drew me in, you know? Um, so like a guy like Shawn Michaels was a great oh, athlete. But he could run his mouth, man. The, the Rockers, originally. Yeah, exactly. Him and Marty Jannetty. Awesome yeah, team. Yeah. Then not only could they do it in the ring, but they, you know, well, at least Sean could really talk people into the building. Somebody was like, he's the best wrestler ever. Like, somebody kept saying that the other day. That's a valid argument. Like, te- like technically. Maybe it was Ric Flair. Yeah, probably. Was it, it? That's, it was somebody I heard saying it. It's a, that's one of the top three names that gets thrown around. It's like him and Flair. and Because you know, he beat the shit out of himself. Yeah. Like, he would do all the shit. He was very athletic, and he broke his back, you know. Uh, he That's why he left for, like, five years. That's crazy, yeah. dude. And, you know, he, he you know became, he got religious, which is great. He changed his whole life, and he came back, and he was better than he was before he left, which is insane. That's crazy, dude. Yeah. But you got you to gotta be able to talk people into the building. That's what it comes down to. Like, there's plenty of guys in, in the history of wrestling that have been awesome mechanics in the ring, but nobody knows who the fuck they are. You know, that's sad. Yeah, because like if I think like when I'm a kid type stuff, like Million Dollar Man, obviously, like mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase. But I mean, like, he was not my favorite, but I'm like, just that whole fucking character. Yeah. It's just amazing. Dude. Like it was very relatable. Like everyone knows the big CEO tycoon that's a big piece of shit, you know, that they yeah. don't like, you know, whatever. It's the guy that they wish they were, you know. <laughs> or like Macho Man. Yeah. Like bigger than life, dude. Lar- yeah, the big robes, the sunglasses, the hats, all that stuff. He was awesome. Who else was Mr. Perfect, I think he was from Minneapolis. Yeah, he was. Originally. He was. Yeah. But, like, he's just great, too. Yeah, but he was, like, legit perfect. Like, if you ever hear stories about him, like, he was a phenomenal athlete. Oh, like, sure. you ever remember the videos of him, like, bowling strikes and throwing touchdown passes oh, to yeah. himself? They were, they'd say, like, oh, no, he was, like, a top-notch golfer. Like, he was he could bowl, he bowled 300 games. Like, he was a freak athlete. No and, shit. Yeah. Yeah, there is a huge entertainment piece where a lot of those dudes then eventually, like, will – get into acting and do some of that yeah. stuff. The bigger dudes, like even, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Nash. Yeah. He's a yeah. bouncer in fucking John Wick. Right. <laughs> like all of a sudden I just noticed <laughs> it. I'm like, oh shit, big sexy here. Is- and, uh, Kevin Nash is, he ha- has this innate charisma that like I've, I've been in the locker room with him once or twice or he's so. A big, he's a big dude. Yeah. He's almost seven feet tall. Okay. But man, he, he, without even trying, he owns a room. Like you're in the room and you're like, and he's talking. You're like, that's the coolest fucking man in the world right there. Like, I want to hang out with this guy. Like, he has that natural charisma. Just like a guy like John Cena and The Rock. Like, they have it, you know? And that's oh, yeah. why they've been able to transcend into, you know, to mainstream. It's just crazy to me, like, because these guys are, they're big, they're fit, they do all this stuff, and then obviously, like, it's like, you know, honestly, like, when I think about, like, the UFC, your favorite dudes aren't necessarily the best dudes. Yeah. It's just the most entertaining dudes. Yeah. And maybe it's just the way that they fight or even the things that they say sometimes. Yeah. And it's like the biggest stars in wrestling. They always pass what we call the airport test. It's like they're walking through the airport. You go, I don't know who that guy is, but he's something. He don't look normal. Yeah. So is there like for somebody who comes in, I'm sure you see a ton of people like who's the, do you have like an average demographic or like an average person who comes in and says, Hey, I want to be Hulk Hogan. So usually the demo is about in mid twenties. That's the majority that we see. Our youngest student is 19. Our oldest is 48. So it kind of runs the gamut. Does a 48 year old guy want to make it to the show? 
he wants to do whatever he can. You know, yeah. and I, I told him, I go, You're, the chances are very slim. And he's like, I understand that. Because who's goes, the, I mean, I guess Ric Flair's old as shit. But he's, yeah. Rick, he's fucking Ric Flair. Dude. And there's there's the one, uh, you remember Diamond Dallas Page? Oh, yeah, DDP. DDP, he started when he was like 44. Really? And he became world champion by like 46 or something I like that. I loved him, dude. Yeah, he had a crazy work ethic, though. He was an insane, very positive guy. You know, he's doing the DDP yoga thing. Like, yeah. That's his deal. He's still he's cr- doing a lot of great work with but, saving like a lot of ex-wrestlers that have addiction issues and oh, stuff. Yeah phenomenal but that's a dude who like works his fucking ass off yeah yeah, yeah. and i and I, let, I i always give a very realistic expectation i'm like this is gonna be fucking very hard you're 48 years old you're behind the eight ball already i just mean like your you body know? like yeah dude i'm 39 and i do a lot of dumb shit i used to do but not yeah. nearly as much because i'm like bro it ain't the same it's so funny we had a our newest class started in october and it was a class of like six or seven people and we had our two oldest students in that class 44 and 48 and they're the t- they're the they're the two right now that are still standing that aren't injured that just fucking blow all <laughs> the younger guys away. No shit. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Well, maybe they're both former military though, so maybe that has something to do with it. Well, you're a different breed for sure. <laughs> yeah. But maybe like because you're older, you take the mobility, the recovery stuff more serious than Could a 25 be. year old. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, but you know, and that so we not only the age, but it's usually one of two people. Like one, they all they all come in and say. I always ask, "Why do you want to do wrestling?" Oh, I lo- I love. It. I have a passion for it. Okay, I've heard that story ten thousand times. Prove it to me. And it's usually a kid that one of two, one that says that, and he looks decent shape. You know, he's smart, he's well spoken. You know, you could tell he's done his research. That type of stuff. And then you have another the other person that says the same thing. And they go, all I've ever wanted to do was be a wrestler. And I always stop him. I go, let me make sure I'm clear on this. You've always wanted to be a wrestler. I go, how often do you work out? Oh, I don't really work out. I go, so how long have you been wanting to be a wrestler for this long? You haven't figured out that you need to be some type of physical specimen to do this? No, I just, you know, I think, I'm like, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. Well, it's kind of like when people say, you know, I would say never quit your job to do fitness. The barrier for entry is not that difficult. But I'm like, you might like to work out, but that's not – being in the business of what we do here yeah like i like watching wrestling too mm-hmm. and i would i guess i would kind of like to fuck around and do some of the moves but yeah i don't want to fucking be hurt and that's like do I all the other them. shit like that's a different thing yeah. there's nothing wrong with being a fan and watching you know ha- not every that's the big thing now in 2023 is uh wrestling is for everybody that's like the big thing on uh, you know especially on social media and i'm really? like, like that's bullshit it's not it's for everybody to watch and enjoy yes but it is not for everybody to do and why is that because now you can basically film a lot of your own shit and kind of pretend like it's real. Like you just said, it, there's a very low barriers to entry to wrestling. Honestly, like you can, you could go buy a ring tomorrow and put it up in here and, and do say, a I'm a wrestler now. And I train people and people will be like, okay, but I don't know what I'm doing. doesn't matter. Well, I guess they don't know. Well, fitness is the same way, dude. Yeah. It's the same yeah. shit. And that's, and that's what it, there's no, it, there's, there's no, no one to police wrestling. And I got accused in the past of being a bully, me and my buddies, for trying to police it and saying, you're not good enough, get better. And they go, how dare you talk to us like that, you bully? And it's like, no, I'm asking you to be better. How, why is that bad? Well, because you don't want people to get hurt. Exactly. Like yeah. it's, you know, again, I'm not going to beg on CrossFit, like do whatever you want. And there's great coaches and there's great programs, obviously. Colleen will come on. Sorry, Colleen. <laughs> um, but there's some of these places where you have the average person doing this like reckless shit for time and reps and they're competing, but they don't have a base built and there's no business of them doing half the things they're doing. No. And that's kind of what you mean where it's like, I could, yeah, I could buy a fucking ring and put it in here. It's like, it wouldn't be that complex. I'm like, but I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And 
th- that gets exposed at some point. You know, For there, sure. there, are, there are people that take the shortcut and want to go to the person that's cheaper or the place that's closer or the one that's not as mean or asking too much of them. And they go that route and eventually they get on some kind of little event, you know, but they get exposed so quickly. It's like, oh, that guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Like, do you have, is there, because it's a little different, you know, like this is, we work, I mean, I work with whoever we like to work with at this point. You know, years ago, we'd take whoever because mm-hmm. we were broke. Um, but obviously, the world's different now. Do you, is there like training requirements? Are there certain things where you're like, hey, if a guy shows up and he's 400 pounds, yeah. like, hey, man, I want to be a pro wrestler. Like, dude, you're just, we're not trying to kill you. We can't yeah. have you be in the program yet. That's a great question. And um, we've, we've had this philosophy since the day we opened it was like we're not going to just take anybody regardless of where we're at financially and thankfully we've never been in the red a day since we've been open which is phenomenal i think you know it's it's easy to operate a a business at a loss is something i just heard the other day from the ceo of wwe for a while for a while yeah (laughs) you know um but we have a very very rigorous um you know enrollment program to even get into school and like i don't want to do business with anybody that can't follow directions like, if you can't follow directions, you'll never survive in my school. So everything is very clear cut and how to enroll and where to go. And, I'll, and when I get those questions, like, where do I sign up? And on the same post that they responded to, it says enroll here. We got a problem. And I know that's going to be a problem. So it, it's a pretty tedious process. One, everyone that p- potentially comes into the school has to meet with me in person, face to face for an interview. I want to get to know that person. I want to get a chance to ask him different questions, see if they're even a good fit, see if they're a moron straight up. You know, you could tell pretty quickly. Um, and if that goes well, I lay everything out to them and I let them know how difficult it's going to be, how time consuming it's going to be, how much it's going to cost, like everything. And I don't want to blindside anybody. And I'm very realistic approach with everything. I'm like, if you think this is going to be easy jumping on a trampoline, you're, you're in for a rude awakening. So I lay all that out. They want to do that. Um, they're allowed to try out for our, our beginner sessions. We only have like four, like three to four beginner sessions every year. Um, and what is it like? It's just like a kind of like a, I want to say open enrollment, but yeah, pretty. So different semesters that we start. So anyone just can't like, let's say next month they're like, Oh, I want to join the wrestling school. We won't just say, okay, come in for an interview. It's like, no, you got to wait until it's enrollment time. Okay. And again, that kind of weeds people out too. It's like people that are serious. are like, okay, I'm going to prepare. So when I do get a chance to go in there and, and interview, I'll be ready. Um, so we do, we do tryouts you know, to get into the, the, the session, nothing in the ring. We don't body slam people and suplex them and all that shit. It's all physical workout on the outside of the ring. And basically what I'm looking for is that they have any heart. Like it could be someone that's 400 pounds, but if they got heart, I can do something with that. Yeah. You know? And I, I did, we have a, we had a kid that came into the school was probably about 400 pounds. And I'm like, this motherfucker is going to drop dead in the tryout. No shit. And he never quit. And then when he got through the tryout, he started class with us and beginners eventually uh, their warm up eventually turns into 500 free squats every class. Whoa. And this big boy was going and he wouldn't stop and he had the trash can in front of him. And we're like, you can stop at 250. He goes, no, I'm not stopping. And he took him for, it took him longer than everybody else, but he did 500 and now he's wrestling on events for us. No shit. Yeah. It's phenomenal. That's great. I mean, that's a, you must love it then. He is. And he's in, it's in his bloody Samoan. The Samoans love wrestling. Oh yeah. It's naturally <laughs> you know? a big duty. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, we do the tryout. They, if they pass the tryout, then they come aboard and there's like a six week evaluation process before they even get in the ring. We don't let them touch the ring for six weeks. They're on the outside. Some of my other coaches are helping them through like strength, conditioning, mobility, flexibility, all the different stuff. Yeah. Um, and then they get evaluated after that six weeks to see if they're allowed in the ring. And that's the best part of my job. It's that six week evaluation. When we pull them onto the ring, we, I 
talk about each one of them and how far they've come in six weeks. And there's tears in their eyes when they get, we, they, they don't, we give them a t-shirt with our logo on it when they pass. They don't get it when they walk in. They got to earn that shit. And oh, yeah. every time it's fucking people bawling because they're so proud of what they did. And like, that's like the greatest night of, you know. Well, it's kind of like you take them through like a, and it's like a boot camp. Yeah. In essence. Yeah. To kind of, not to break them down, but. No, just to show them what they're capable of. Yeah. So I think a lot of them don't really know what their physical and mental limits are. And when you can show them that, like it, it's an emotional release where they're like, I fucking didn't even know I had that in me. You know? Do you get a good number of people who like quit? Yeah. Oh like, yeah. And it's varying times. You know, some people quit in the middle of the tryout and I'm glad because I don't want to take any more of their money. Yeah. You know, just a reality check. Like, Hey, this probably isn't for you. And I give them an opportunity. I'll say they get three strikes. Basically you get three chances to try out. Like if you fail now, you can come back again and try. Nobody has ever taken me up on that offer. Because oh, they, they just quit. They, they quit. They realize that it's much harder than they thought it was going to be. And is it when you guys start when they get into you know after I guess the six weeks is it like group stuff mostly? Yeah. So we try to keep them at skill levels together. So usually they're working together at within their same group. Makes sense. Um, and then we just kind of progress from there. And then as they get more experience, we do like you know one on one. We do like open gym type of stuff and things like that. And then, I guess like from a like a recovery standpoint, or I guess like maybe like a frequency standpoint, like how often does the average person come in? So we require two, two, uh, two days a week minimum. Like okay. You have to be there two days a week, obviously pending circumstances. Like, you know, if you're out sick or whatever, that's fine. Um, but if you're just like fucking off and not coming, I'll kick you the fuck out of the school. I don't yeah. care. Cause it's a feel like you, it's like school. No one wants to wait for the guy that we got to play catch up with, you know, yeah. just because they're fucking off at home and not doing what they're supposed to do. And like, what is a, how long are they there for when they come like an hour or two hours? Uh, we, so we usually start about six fifteen, six thirty, and we wrap like nine, nine thirty. just kind of depends. Sometimes we go later, just kind of oh, depends shit. on what we're doing. Yeah. So the two nights is minimum. We do have a lot of kids that come four nights a week and just kind of get as much in as they can. It's a big time commitment. It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, cause we talk about adults here. It's like, okay, if you can, I think these are people with like, you know, I'm the CFO of whatever. Mm -hmm. If we can get them for 90 minutes a week, like wow. three, three sessions, three times a week we yeah. some like 99 percent of its group stuff here um and we give them 25 different chances to kind of come yeah but that's for an average adult that's pretty much like the max of like what they could do yeah and maybe it's a little bit easier for our kids because they're kids you know a lot of them are you know still 20s. dude like fuck dude in college we would practice i mean you're practicing by the time you're doing treatment and everything yeah you're there every mm -hmm. day for three hours a day yeah. but that's you're in college. I'm taking like two classes yeah. and I'm going to practice and then PT and shit. Our, our, Hey, if I could have them there five days a week, I would, but yeah. I get like, everyone's got a life outside of that. And that's kind of why we structured it that way. Like just give us two days, the other, uh, five of the week, spread out your personal life and get that figured out and take care of the stuff you need to take care of. Just give us two nights a week if you can. And the dudes who, is it all, is it, I keep saying dudes, is it all dudes? No, we got a very small group of, of females, but Honestly, like our females sometimes might be tougher than a lot of the guys. No shit. Well, yeah. you know, they're, they're meant to like have kids and shit. We can't do that. Yeah. I, the thought of like having a kid seems very traumatic for my body. Right. So right. they're, they have a different thing ingrained in them than we do. Yeah. We get one of two f types of female students. One, it's like once the physical piece happens, they're like, oh, this is, this hurts way more than I thought. And then they wash out Yeah, and, or the other end of the spectrum is we get fucking killers. Man. Just like, fucking gangsters. Yeah. Oh, the girls that just want to fuck people up and it's awesome. And they, they're phenomenal. I love it. We got some killer girls right now with us. And so how long are people like, how long are they there for? Like how long do you have uh, like a, an athlete for? So it, 
depends. Like they can stay as long as they want. Even the guys that we have out there right now that came through our system that are actively wrestling on the scene, um, they still train with us regularly because there's always something new you can learn, you know, and they want to give back to the school too. So a lot of them help coach like the, the, the lower levels for me. If I can't have my attention on everybody, um, I, do, I have two other main coaches at the school, but we're not all there at the same time. So it's usually just relies on one of us per night. And sometimes the class size is pretty big. So our more experienced guys will kind of help out wherever they can. So, so like how many people do you have like on a, like a Monday when you go to work? So a Monday is more like an advanced day. So we have less of those students. So that could be anywhere from like four, as low as four to maybe like 10. 10 okay. guys. Tuesday, Thursdays are usually our intermediate beginner nights. That's when place is packed, you know, maybe like 20 or so people. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And it's all like they're, you're trying to teach, like, how do you break it down? I guess I'm just curious, like from like a fitness standpoint, like we do, again, there's the business of what, what is ideal. And then there's like, what would really be ideal. Mm. We give these guys, again, you look at the best athletes in the world, like take Usain Bolt. He sprints, dude. Mm -hmm. That's it. He goes to practice. He walks, he skips, he runs, but skipping is basically running and walking and sprinting. It's all into one. This is the best athlete in the world. He does one thing. You watch NFL. If it's, mm. you know, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers suck, but so be <laughs> it. Like, even if Rodgers is it, he's just a quarterback. He's not the running back. He's not the tight end. He's just mm. doing one thing. How we do fitness is they're going to come here. We can't just have them do one skill. Mm. They'll fucking leave. You know, we have to show them how to push, pull, hip, like all the things. Where in wrestling, do you have the ability to be like, hey, we're going to work on just these couple skills today because you're not going to throw everything all at once yeah we usually try to divvy it up as best as we can so we, we do a lot of drilling a lot of drill a lot of repetition that's the key because we got to get these guys and girls to a point where they don't even have to think about what they're doing in the ring because a lot of our movements in the ring are counterproductive to how we're naturally wired as humans so like the perfect example is the basic maneuver in a, in a wrestling ring is taking up what we call a flat back bump that means falling flat on your back yeah. body slam suplex that type of thing well, think about it. If you're climbing a ladder to the roof of your house and the ladder starts to tip over, the last thing you're going to do is land on the ground flat. You know, you're going to try to break your fall. For sure. So that part is one of the basic pieces of wrestling. It's very hard for a lot of people to pick that up at first because their body's trying to naturally react. So it's a, that's just one nuance. So we're trying to hammer it home and, and really drill into these little, these little instances where they don't have to think about the movements they're making. So we do focus... You know, it, it varies. So some nights we may focus on a couple different things specifically and kind of drill that stuff out. And then it depends on the skill level too. So we may do that for our, our advanced guys, something that maybe they need to work on a little bit more. And then they get a chance to do matches like towards the end of the night and stuff like that. We kind of pick them apart and kind of tell them where they did good, where they did bad. So like how long from the day you walk in to you kind of actually have like a match with somebody else? really depends. So we've had someone have their first match about nine months in. We've had someone two plus years. And it's a variety of things. Dude. Yeah. So most people, it's nine months. Minimum. Yeah. That's, that's being generous. Because injuries happen, which kind of slows your pace. For sure. And I'm a firm believer. I don't want anybody going out there and wrestling in front of people with my name behind them and someone go, that and guy's fucking terrible. He sucks, you know? yeah. And again, people, everyone's green at some point when you're first starting, you're still learning, but I don't want anyone to embarrass themselves, embarrass me or embarrass their, their, their student, their fellow classmates. So we we're very meticulous about what we do. We have a regular evaluation process. Everyone kind of knows where they are along the process. If, but if they're not ready, I'm not going to pull the trigger on them and it's for their own, their own good. And so it's really like when I, 
for people who listen, like it's it's really like a like a sports practice. Like when you play, well, like obviously if you play basketball and you're playing in college, like at that point we've all played a million games. Mm-hmm. We all kind of know what we're doing. But when you go to practice, you'll scrimmage and you'll do drills, but you do you still do a ton of drill work yeah. and a ton of shell work and things that maybe not their team skills are they're different things. I go, but it's not like we just get together for three hours and just play. Right. That's not what we do. No. And so when people who listen, I guess you guys approach it the same way where it's, I guess as I listen, it sounds way more fucking complex than I even I ever thought. Like I knew it was not just like, hey, we'll show up and we're going to be the rock. <laughs> but there is a lot of shit to learn, I guess. Yeah, it's very structured. Like, and it's not that way, not that way everywhere. Like, again, that's why we, we opened our own place. It's we're the most structured and curriculum based school, at least out here. That, and I kind of, you know, I, I know about what's going on out here. Yeah. And it's, and we've, I've had students come to us that have been to those other schools and go, I fucking, it may be take longer, but I learned way more with you guys than elsewhere. Like this all makes sense to me. You know, where the first day they're going to other places like, Hey, go up to the top rope and do a flip off the top. And they're like, what? Like that to me, that's not conducive to anybody. Anyway, safety anyway. No, you get hurt doing that yeah. shit for sure. Like even that, like I'd be like, nah, bro. Like yeah. I'm pretty athletic for being old, but I'm like, there's no fucking way. I'm like backflipping on shit. Nah. Is there like uh, wrestling schools where like, yeah, these ones are the shit? Like do you kind of all, I guess we'll answer that after this. Like was that the goal where you're like, hey, you know what? We'll start a wrestling school, but I want to make sure it's like legit and not just like some, you know, put together bullshit to make money. Yeah, 100%. And what I hang my hat on a lot is the fact that there's been a lot of people in wrestling that made a lot of fucking money, that have a lot of big name notoriety behind them that have seen what we do and go, oh, you guys do this shit the right way. And to me, that's like, fuck, yeah, I'm doing it the right, you know, I'm doing it right. Like, I remember this is right when we first opened. You remember who Kevin Sullivan is? Yeah. Old old uh, wrestler from WCW, the, the devil, whatever. Very highly respected in wrestling as well. I was on an event with him, or a couple of events. I got to befriend him a little bit. And I presented what we do to him. I go, hey, Kevin, I'd like to get your, your opinion on, on my school. And I laid it all out to him. He goes, brother, he's like, you're doing it the right way. He goes, I can't, I can't ask for better. And I was like. That's all I need to hear, you yeah. know? And we've had numerous guys over the years come in and like guys like Val Venus from WWE. Oh, yeah. He's local here. Dan Severn from UFC has fucking waltzed in. Dan and, Severn's a real dude. Yeah, dude. And they're like, wow, this place is great. Like, you guys really have it together. Like, you guys have this structured. And he's like, this is what it should be like. Yeah. You know? So that, to me, it's like, okay, we're doing something the right way. And that was part of the goal from the beginning was like, I don't want someone to think we're some bullshit place. I want someone to go, that's the place you guys got to go to. And is there other places in the country that are like you hear of or like, oh, that's a legit place. Like I've heard good things about them. Yeah, there's there's multiple others throughout the, the country for sure. Now, is their system structured the same way as ours? Probably not. But it doesn't make theirs, theirs any worse than ours or better. Yeah. Um, but there's, you, you know, a handful out there, you know, throughout the states where I can say that's a place you want to go. That's a place you want to go. And how many of the dudes who, because like how many dudes are in the WWE, if you had a guess? Like, <sighs> I want to say like. Well, WWE Strange right now, they have like their main roster that's on like the Raw and SmackDown. And then they have like their lower level, which is called NXT, which is their own farm system. Okay, and that's like the, pretty big. Like the NBA D-League. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're grooming them for, for prime time, you know. Um, that's where they, they pull up their people to the main roster. So I think combined, you're probably looking at about 200 people under contract, maybe. Maybe okay. around that. And then there's like another big organization. Yeah, there's one that's that's fairly new, uh, maybe like four years old or so, called AEW. Um, Is that like what Chris Jericho does? Yeah, Jericho's on it. The the Jaguars owner, his son runs the place. Oh no so shit! He's got an open pocketbook for it. Man, that helps. Yeah, if you have money behind it. What yeah. do they got? A couple hundred people. 
I would. Well, yeah, they. That's the thing. They probably have a like about a hundred or so, maybe a little bit more than that. But they have way less TV time than WWE, so the roster is very, you know, very convoluted. Like yeah. a lot of the guys don't ever get any playing time. It's weird. That's so. You're talking overall, like maybe 300 spots. I would say right around there. Like in and, the in the world. Yeah and, it, yeah, and it sounds like oh, it's that's a lot. It's not really. Well, there's know? 330 million people in America. Mm-hmm. So 300 total spots. It's like basically making the NBA. Yeah. There's probably 10,000 quote unquote or wrestlers quote unquote out there right now trying for those spots. So it's real. It's yeah. real tough. Yeah. What what percentage? I guess if you had to guess, like how many of them actually go through like a wrestling school? Like does everybody? I would say the vast majority do. Or, or you get like a like because some there's other people like they'll bring on like i guess i'll see like you know uh, this athlete came in or this uh, but i'm assuming like if even if he played in the nfl or whatever he would do he had a coach they go through some kind of training for, for sure. sure like there's obviously guys that sneak through the cracks and you know tr- self-trained which is always dumb um but there's for the most part people go through training the, the level of training is up for debate obviously because i've seen guys under contract and i'm like that guy looks like he's doesn't know anything that he's doing like that doesn't look safe at all you know, but who am I to say? Um, but yeah, you got a guy like like Logan Paul or one of the Paul brothers oh, yeah, yeah, who's yeah, just on WWE, yeah. who performs out of this world. The way he's had two matches ever, you would think this kid's been wrestling for ten years. Phenomenal, but he's been coached by Shawn Michaels. So there you, it's, you know, they you know that's why. Well, that's what I mean. Like even if like okay, you're you're fit, you're athletic, you know, you have the money and you have a great coach, like you can cut the learning curve probably pretty quick if like yeah if i could hang out with like you know fucking rick flair all day i mean maybe not rick flair but like you know if i could <laughs> yeah. hang out with somebody like all day every day yeah. like okay this would be super helpful yeah one-on-one is not a bad thing like pat mcafee did the same thing like he has oh yeah, yeah he's got his own ring in his garage or his barn or whatever and he had um, there's this old-timer wrestler called rip rogers who's actually if uh he, he's the guy that would do a lot of enhancement matches on tv like you know the guy that would get beat up by yeah the, the stars phenomenal coach though like he he trained a lot of the stars in wwe like you know batista and uh brock and a bunch of guys like that yeah so he hired him to come to indianapolis because he lived close to, to train him and pat mcafee outperforms a lot of guys he's a phenomenal athlete that guy he's very underrated well that's the thing you take a guy who's already athletic yeah. and then you give him this mm-hmm. i guess that makes a lot of sense i was always curious because like even the guys like you know that are good like let's say it was like the rock or something he was a d1 athlete bro his yeah. dad was a wrestler, but then he came, he was not always the rock as you know him. Like I remember yeah. him as like early early rock wrestling. Yeah, like was not the same person. No, and you can see different. them get better. Yeah, and it all depends on the person too. Like we had a we had a young lady come to us, and she's like, "Hey, I I got uh, chosen for a WWE tryout, but I have no wrestling experience whatsoever." She so just like looked the part. Yeah, it was like a kind of casting, like a casting uh, call kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, "Well, what's your background?" And she's like, I've, "I used to be a cheerleader for the Suns and for the Rams and." I just kind of gave them my resume and they invited me for a tryout. I was wondering if you could train me so I can be prepared for it. And I was like, okay. And I figured, well, she's an athlete to do that stuff. You got to be an athlete. And she came in and I trained her for about a month or so. One-on-one great attitude, really good athlete, pretty personable, could talk. And she did her tryout and she got signed. She's on SmackDown every Friday night now. No shit. Yeah, she's a star. She doesn't wrestle. She's just a, like a manager type of thing role. Oh yeah. But yeah. They, they did train her how to wrestle while she was there. And she probably will wrestle at some point. But she's a, she's a superstar now. That's tight, man. Yeah. So there is like way, I mean, freak ways. But for most people, there you got to you gotta work your ass off. Yeah, I got another athlete right now. Um, his name is Jimmy House. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's local here. He's power lifter, jiu-jitsu, black belt, really. Pretty big on, on Instagram and stuff like that. Phenomenal athlete. 
phenomenal. And he his next goal is to go to WWE. And he's close personal friends with Goldberg. And oh, shit. so, you know, and Goldberg's vouching for him and stuff. But his road there is a lot more difficult than you would think it would be. Just he looks like a specimen. He's a great guy. He's great personality. Good heart. And you know people in the industry. Yeah. And you would think like they just go, hey, there you go. Come on in. And it's it's been a little bit of a struggle for him. But I imagine there's so many people because now it's obviously the it's been decades, right? So if I go way, way back, like Andre the Giant shit, even before that, like Iron Sheik stuff, like it's been going on for a long time. There's got to be enough dudes who have wrestled who, well, I know somebody in the industry. Yeah. Like, hey, I played in the NFL, but I also know, you know, Hulk Hogan. So mm-hmm. fuck, can you get me in the door? I'm sure there's a lot of there's that. There's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And But there's always that piece, too, where it's like, okay, we can get you in the door, but can you perform? True. You know, like we're, I just heard a story. I was talking to a friend of mine last night, and we were talking about Tito Ortiz. And originally, Tito Ortiz wanted to go to WWE. He's like, I want to do that now after I'm done fighting. And then when they told him what the schedule was like and they had him work out, he's like, wait, you guys do this every day? He's like, no, I'm not interested. No. Bro. You know? So yeah. he had his in, but he, it wasn't for him. You know? Yeah, because I would think, like, obviously, he's Tito. Like, he's an easy yeah. fit. But you got to be able to. But that's the thing, too. Like, we know here. I've had, um, like, Frank Kerr has been in here. Um God, just a monster. But, like, he's talked about, like, training with Brock. Like, wrestling, mm-hmm. wrestling with Brock. He's like, yeah, bro, he's a freak. Yeah. He's yeah. a freak, dude. Like, regardless of, like, if you like him or if he's nice or whatever, he's like, he's a freak among freaks. Yeah. Like, he'll show up and do the shit. You know what I like it most about him is, like, we talked about earlier, like, oh, you know, wrestling, everyone knows it's kind of, like, you know, not on the up and up. You watch Brock Lesnar in a rest- pro wrestling match. Knowing what you know, you can pull your phone out of your pocket right now and go to Google and say, is wrestling fake? And it'll tell you, yes. Yeah. You can look at that and you can watch Brock Lesnar on the screen in front of you and go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he, he got the memo. Yeah, dude. To me, that's the best wrestler in the world. When I mean, you can make someone not believe what they are blatantly looking at in front of them, that's when you know you're doing the job right. And I always tell my guys, it's like, it, it's not, and this is, an old wrestler, this is an old saying from an old wrestler, uh, uh, Johnny Valiant. I can't make you believe wrestling is real, but I can make you believe I am. I go just use that philosophy and you'll be fine. That's it. Yeah. Is there something that you see with people like the ones who who do like do well and kind of succeed and the ones who don't? Is there anything that like, just sticks out other than like just work ethic or is that it? I think work, work ethic is obviously a big piece. I think the mental piece is huge. I don't think a lot of people understand the mental toll it can take on you, especially especially if you have to do it at a high level. Now, I never got to the highest level, but I have, you know, plenty of people that I have close relationships that have and just kind of like knowing what they've they had to go to and what that schedule is like and what the expectations are and then balancing everything else. It's it's extremely tedious on one's life and it's the ones that can weather that storm that usually last and have longevity and be, you know, can transcend into other areas where it's the ones that get broken down too quick, the business eats them alive and they never survive it. Well, and there's probably like this patience piece to it. Like, hey, you're going to do this, but it might not work out for, or when I say work out, you might not make it to the highest level for three years, five mm-hmm. years, 10 years. Yeah. How long, I mean, is there like a, a person you've seen, uh, I forget the dude's name. He's played the, I think he's the, the G League like scoring champion, which he, he God, if I'm gonna, um, I don't know his name. He could have went overseas like 10 times and made I don't know, fucking hundred X of what he's because the mm-hmm. G League pays shit. It's like yeah. fifty grand a year, but he was on the Lakers roster for a couple of games, which is like super cool. But I think he was in the G League for like a fucking decade. Damn, which would suck, dude. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think he was like tutoring math on top of it to make money, like really weird <laughs> shit. Which I just went to Italy and been like, fuck it, dude, pay yeah. me. But is there somebody who 
maybe grinds for a long time and then eventually makes it. Oh yeah, there's those there's those like stories for years. out there. Yeah, ten plus years sometimes, you know. Jeez, dude. And they're getting the shit kicked out of them. And then there's guys that set a short term goal. They go, I'm giving it five years. If I don't get to the top in five, if I'm not getting w- signed by WWE in five years, I'm just gonna turn around and walk away. And that's okay if that's the decision they make. Um, but some guys fall ass backwards into a WWE contract two years in, have no business being there, and they just they have something that they saw and they they pick them up. And there's the guys that really deserve it that either never get there or takes 10 plus years. It's weird because like with sports, usually like the best people, you could just eventually, if you're good, it's going to work out for you. Like you're the best, you know, shooting guard that's available. Like someone's going to pick you up in the league and you'll be there Mm -hmm. where this is not necessarily that because it could be the entertainment factor, the timing factor, I guess what they're looking for too. hundred percent what they're looking for. Like I just had another girl recently try out for WWE, no wrestling experience. And she looks like Kim Kardashian. Like, like she could cosplay her if she wanted to, you think that look would be super marketable. And she picked up the wrestling piece pretty quick. She went down for her tryout and then she started doing the stuff. They go, have you done this before? She goes, yeah, I might've prepared for a little bit. And then they had her like, helping the other people there through it. I'm like, Oh, that's good news. Like it's probably a good thing. And they didn't pick her up and she was a little, you know, upset about it. Rightfully so. And I go, that's the thing about wrestling, man. I go, they may be looking right now for the girl that looks like Pamela Anderson and you just don't fit that mold. But in six months, a year from now, they might go, Hey, what about that girl that looked like Kim Kardashian? Let's give her a call. Yeah. You know, you just never know. That's crazy, man. So you'd have to like really love it to just keep showing up day after day after day and doing it and mm-hmm. being like, maybe this never works out for me. You do. You 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 have to be able to eat shit, you know, and for I, for a long time. Yeah, and I tell everyone that to all my guys. I'm like, there is a chance that this will not pan out for you at that that level that we're all looking to get, and that is your decision to make if it's worth the journey. And a lot of times the, the, the journey is the jewel. I mean, not the, the end is the jewel, you know? Yeah. And these guys are having the time of their life. They're living their dream. They're wrestling, doing something they, they dreamed about doing since they were kids. I know for me, the, the coolest part was being able to wrestle against people I used to watch on TV as a kid, like, and then be looked at as a peer by them, which, which is like, to me, like that was a part of my, my idea of making it. it was like where I could look across the room at a guy that I used to watch on TV and him go, I respect you. You're actually good at what you do. So, cause basically it's a, you're living a, like a pro athletes type of schedule for the most part. Yeah. Especially at WWE level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. With how they travel and everywhere they go travel piece. And there's so much media involved as well. So you're kind of like always on, you know, and then having to balance everything else, you know, your, your, your fitness, your, your nutrition, your family life, all that other stuff. So the dudes who don't make it like to, I guess like one of the top tier leagues, mm-hmm. they can't survive like money wise. It's tough. It's yeah. tough. You know, like I never made it and I never made a living off of wrestling alone. You yeah. know, I always had to have something else and you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, okay, so what gives now? What do you do? Do you stick around and just do it for fun? Do you stick around and keep hoping that something's going to come about or do you figure out a way to parlay it another way? You know, and that's kind of what I did with the wrestling school. Um, and I, I still make a little money in wrestling, but doing different things. Like I've always, I've always believed in creating as much value for yourself as you possibly can. So I never wanted just to be seen as a guy that could wrestle. I try to learn every other facet of wrestling. So now I get paid to put a red jacket on and not, and just talk to people at, at events like, you know, the, the community outreach guy. Yeah. I don't got to take any bumps. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, you know, well, and really what you're doing is you're just coaching. 
Like yeah. you're like whether it's wrestling or not, like you you're coaching people essentially is what you guys do. Yeah, yeah. And I never looked at it that way. Even a couple of years into the school, I never looked at it that way. And then people started calling me coach, and I'm like, huh? What? You know? And I'm like, oh, like guess I kinda am. And then that parlayed into other stuff. Well, because for some of these dudes they're spending how many hours a week with you guys? Ten? Yeah, sometimes ten. And then it it bleeds in after they work texting each other. We have our own little different groups and stuff like that. So yeah. So really I mean the wrestling is the it's what brings them in, but I'm sure like you guys have conversations that supersede just like basic wrestling stuff. It's oh, about life. They become part yeah. of your community. Like it, it becomes this thing where it's like, well, Jeremy, what you do is like you teach jumping jacks. I'm like, well, mm. not really anymore. I go, but yeah, that's maybe what people come in for. I go, but it, it's much bigger than that. Yeah. We, we realized that on accident too. It's like when, when these students start verbalizing that, Hey, like I need this place. I need to be here. And that's, and that's why a lot of them come on the days they don't have to come. It's like, this is the only place I'm happy. Like I got a lot of shit going on at home, but I come here, I can forget about it. And I'm with people that get me and that get what we're doing. And you're in the same trench with them. And they have that understanding. Whereas you could, can't talk to your mom about wrestling because they don't know what the fuck you're talking about, nor do they care. Yeah. But you can talk to that person that's taking the same bumps as you. And, you know, we, it's transitioned to a whole nother world where we're talk, we, we do deal with a lot of real life stuff, not just wrestling stuff. And, you know, we, we do this little gratitude session at the end of every Thursday, Thursday class. We sit around and everyone goes around and says something they're grateful for. And it gets deep and it's seldomly about wrestling, you know, but they realize they're, they're in a community that, that cares and it, that's in there with in the trenches with them. And it's something special. Well, yeah, it's like they're, if home and work are one and two, it's like their third space. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Especially with what you guys do, because it's so, I mean, other than like my man, Jan, I have never met anybody who fucking wrestles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, dude, I've met thousands of people here all over the world. You name it on my phone, all the the, the reach we have and shit. I'm like, I don't know any wrestlers. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a, a weird niche. It's super small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, imagine to, to go through it and, you know, the ups and downs of it to not have anybody to communicate that with would be rough. So it's like you guys really do have a, you know, it's like a family, I guess, setting probably. It really is. Like, and that's how they look at each other. And that's that's so gratifying for me to see that. Cause again, it's, it wasn't something I had sought after. I didn't think that was going to be a residual effect of it. And for, to see these, these people that would never even comprehend having a relationship with each other outside of this become like the best of friends and travel partners and what we call our road wives at times, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's amazing. And then they see like, I don't know how I would do it without him, you know? And you just develop this, this very special bond with people that are kind of doing that same thing that you're doing. I was going to ask quick too, like what are the top, like if you make it into the WWE, like what are the, the top dudes making money wise? So I think when you get to the main roster, um, when you first get there, you're probably making about a, between 125, 150 a year. Okay. Um, but there's potential to make more. So the more events you do, the more pay-per-views you do, bonuses, merchandise, things like that. Cause do you own your own name? You don't, you don't own your name or your likeness. So that's Bro, the tough part. That's yeah. the worst. And WWE's been cracking down on secondary income too. I don't know what it is now, but they like there was a lot of their guys on Twitch making money, and they're like, nope, unless we get a piece of that. No, I don't shit. know if that's the case anymore. But they would own. That's weird. So like their social media is theirs though. So like if you are whoever, like it's your Instagram, it's your Facebook, it's whatever. Usually on on uh, for WWE, they'll see WWE next to their name, so like they'll, they'll have a piece, a little piece of that. Dude. There was just recently they had a because uh, they're the plat. I guess they're the platform. Without the platform, who are you? It, that's that's their argument. Fuck that's, man. So they just had a girl, a female wrestler, who um, was on their main roster. Beautiful girl. They brought her down to the to the to the D League essentially to kind of you know get get some more reps in. 
a huge following online because of the way she looks. And yeah. then she started one, not an OnlyFans, but something similar to that. Oh, yeah. And started getting a bit racy. And I guess they warned her, like, hey, can't do that. And she didn't listen. And they ended up firing her out of the blue. And everyone was like, what? The girl ended up making a million dollars off of that site alone. Oh, for sure. Because of the firing, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that money's out there. But I think when you get to the top of the card, when you're talking about your your Cena's, your Roman Reigns, your Brock's, things like that, you're looking at multi-millions. Yeah. Yeah. Merchandise is a huge piece of it. And they get probably like a percentage of that stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 And they're they're just selling boatloads of merchandise. Because that was the thing, right? Like where was it Ultimate Warrior couldn't call himself Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, so they changed, legally changed his name to Warrior. Warrior. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he would do. Um, I'm sure you know, like what is it? Um, Chris Bell. Yeah, did the uh, bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah, and so he'll sometimes share clips of the war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like he'll like he's like teaching kids how to squat or something. He like got a wrestling that. school out here. That's what that was from. Oh no shit. Yeah, it didn't last long. <laughs> um, yeah, his um, his coaching cues were not the greatest no, thing I've ever seen. No. <laughs> he was very. Uh, I mean, did he talk like that all the time? Because it, it seemed like he was a f- the fucking character. Like, Yeah, he was fucking up and down. You know, he kind of cooled off, I think, towards the end of his life. I think he realized, you yeah. know, he, he wasn't going on a good path. He tried to make amends with everybody, and he did. And he eventually died like a day later. Which is know? crazy. Yeah. But I remember hearing that, like, he none of those guys owned their shit. Yeah, that's why a lot of the guys that go to, end up in WWE, they, they don't go by their real names. WWE gives them a name, so they own it. So then they, they'll leave WWE and come back to the independents and kind of make, they can make decent money in the independents after you've been with WWE for sure. Like yeah. You can command a good dollar um, and they'll come back and they'll have to use like their real name or something else. They can't go by, you know, Roman Reigns when they're wrestling down here, you know, with the local federation. No shit. Yeah. But that's like, well, people know you as. Yeah. Which is, is weird. It is. And that, that takes some getting used to as well to the fans. Or you can say formerly known as so-and-so. But that's like, it's like Hulk Hogan's Hulk Hogan, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you really can't recycle those names. Right. And some of the guys do own their, their gimmick names and things like that. Some of them end up trademarking them and, and things like that. Yeah. I think Hogan owns his. Um, and there's those, there's those few and far between that do. Yeah, man. That just, it always baffles me like that stuff because it's like, that's your identity. And with the OnlyFans thing, I, I just thought of that. We had a dude on here, um, Pat Darby. He's a finance guy and he's a tax guy and he's in Vegas. And he was like, yeah, there's this whole economy in OnlyFans yeah. where like he helps them manage their money. He's like, yeah, we got girls doing like, I think it was like the number, f- what did you see on there? Like the number five person was making a million a month. That's insane. Yeah. Insane. He, he goes, I got kids that are, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old, making 10, 15, 20K a month on OnlyFans. And he goes, you know, he goes, what I do, he goes, I try to talk to them like they're pro athletes. This isn't going to last forever. Be smart about your money. Invest mm-hmm. some of it. If you want to buy a property, that's fine. And he goes, you know, the the benefit is like this other, you know, if it's a girl or a guy, they'd be like on a pole dancing in clubs doing this other bullshit. Now they can do it from their own home if they yeah. want to, whatever it is. Where I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a whole different economy because now they have like he had a guy on there where I think the guy wanted to be off there now, mm-hmm. um, but people have screenshotted a lot of the shit, and this it's a le- it's illegal to do. Mm-hmm. But like when you put it on Reddit or something, Reddit's pretty good about taking it off. Yeah. So there's now like basically law firms that are created that are searching those out to grab them and pull them off the internet. Wow. So like Bill, who used to show his dick maybe all day on OnlyFans, <laughs> now goes and wants to work a real job, Yeah, which is crazy. But I guess to think of it in terms of wrestling, if you become so popular, and not that you have to show like your butthole or anything like right. on OnlyFans, like, oh, it could be whatever else. 
But if you can make money that way, that's at least a yeah. way to, to siphon off. That's how she got that girl I was telling you got, got caught. Someone had screenshotted it and posted it to Reddit, and then WWE caught wind of it and saw how racy it was. And yeah, you know, not, it was, not that it was the worst of the worst, but it was like mm, that might be a little bit too risque for a PG company, yeah. you know. Um, and they're like, no, can't do it. So I guess for most people, like to, to make it to the show is one, there's money obviously in it, but two, just like it's you become, you know famous essentially. yeah and we were we were talking last night to the class and someone was like i want to be hulk hogan like i want to be that name notoriety i want to be that guy that's popular that people look and say hey there he goes and you know it's a it's a powerful drug you know that, bro that's like saying. that's like saying you want to be michael fucking jordan right <laughs> or like I, i'm like when i think about it like how famous if it's in, in the end that's an awesome dream i'm not saying don't have it but that's like saying i want to be you know Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. I want to be Babe fucking Ruth. Not that Hulk Hogan is the same athlete as him. I'm sure. Like, but he's just as famous. Yeah. Hulk yeah. Hogan is as famous as anyone who's ever... Fu- I mean, yeah. if you think about it, who doesn't know Hulk Hogan? Right, right. Like, that's fucking trippy, dude. Yeah. Like, not everybody knows Steve Austin, even though he's great. Sure. And I think, I would argue, more people know Hulk Hogan than The Rock, mm-hmm. I think. It's nuts, though. Yeah. Like, pro wrestling, like, you know this dude. Like, And I think that will live far beyond me. Yeah, he... he at least Hulk Hogan transcends pop culture. Yeah. You know, he's just, he was, he was the first, he was the first mainstream pro wrestler. Like and, megastar. Yeah. And just skyrocketed and just, you know, he's in Rocky and all of his toys are all over the he's place back then. Thunderlips. He was Thunderlips. Yeah. But he did a movie too. Um, did a bunch. He did one where he's. Mr. Nanny. <laughs> oh, that's just bad. Um, no, he did one with um, uh, Tiny Zeus Lister. Oh, uh, no holds barred. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. That was what, what? What was the movie premise? I forget. So he he was basically Hulk Hogan. He just had a different name. His name yeah. was Rip. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. I saw yeah. that movie in the theaters when it came out. Oh no shit. <laughs> yeah. I that's rem- how big of a Hulkamaniac I was, man. Oh, dude. I remember. I was a little kid. We rented it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Rip. And he, um, there was someone who was new. Uh, some guy, some deceitful businessman, was starting his own wrestling organization, and he wanted to recruit Rip. And he's like, "I'm not wrestling for you." And then he recruited Zeus to beat him up and yeah, yeah goaded him into a fight by crippling his brother. That's, <laughs> uh, dude. Those are, I mean, great times, dude. Yeah. God, but yeah, he's the he's the one. Like he's the guy. Like he just transcends all the shit. So to have a kid say, "I want to be Hulk Hogan," that's fucking crazy. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad because like you know, like I said, I, we were talking about that too. Like Hulk Hogan, if not for him, I'm not here. A lot of us weren't wouldn't be doing what we're doing. You know, he's he's the godfather of it all. Yeah, like I mean, he was my favorite for sure as yeah. as a as a young kid. Like even though other dudes, I thought were like I loved Ultimate Warrior too. I loved mm-hmm. fuck. I mean, they're all characters though. Like even if like or like Legion of Doom. Yeah. Like, man, this is badass. I mean, fuck, dude, for our Metcon people, we make a championship belt and we fucking hang <laughs> Things like seven pounds. It's fucking Hell great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's, I don't know. I love it too. Yeah. I don't watch it anymore, but I'm like, because I'm old now and I'm too busy to do anything. But I'm like, that's like the golden era of time. It was. But I feel like an old person, and we talked about this before, like where I'm like, I think rap music was the best when I grew up. But I feel like wrestling was that same shit too. It was. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. It was, it was a different time. And, when push comes to shove, I think the reason why wrestling is able to stay as popular as it is, and or stay at least stay in the mainstream, is you know everyone wants to be a superhero, and they're the closest thing to it. They're real life superheroes, and some of them look like they just jumped off the page of a comic book, you know, and it's hard to replicate. And it's entertaining too, like if you can follow like yeah. the stories and shit, and the characters and the you know the the colors and the costumes and all that stuff. Like it's it's so out of the ordinary. You know, well, it's like when you watch a movie and you're like, oh man, I hate that person. It's like that dude's crushing it. 
Yeah. Because he's really not that person. Yeah. But you fucking hate him. Yeah. So he's doing his job well. Yeah. Wrestling's the same thing. <laughs> so like, what's uh, like, what's next for you guys? You just keep rolling with the wrestling stuff, or what? yeah, we're just looking to get bigger, you know. Um, but we're not trying to to expand too quickly. I think I've, I've seen a lot of people make that mistake in the past, you know. And um, we're just sticking to the formula. Our our team right now is as strong as it's ever been, which is awesome. Um, we you know we 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 run the biggest wrestling events out here in Arizona besides. Uh, WWE when they're in town and so like how does that work like you just go to like hey the Mesa Art Center or something say we're gonna take over the whole place and yeah we just find a find a venue that fits what we're looking for and as long as you know the cost is right we we rent the place out for the night and we you know find different wrestlers not just locally but from elsewhere bring them in and put on an event and send everybody home happy seems like a lot of work it is yeah. it's very it's their long days they're long I mean we usually start about ten o'clock in the morning and we don't wrap up until about midnight. No shit. Yeah, with everything, putting everything away and all that kind of stuff, the setup and everything. So you got to bring like your ring. Yeah, yeah. We have two, which is which is nice. Um, so one of them is is stored away at one this one place that we actually run smaller events at. Yeah. So that way we don't have to haul it, which is nice. Um, and then we have our training ring that we actually haul and tear down and put back up for our bigger events. No shit. Yeah. And then how do you guys like sell the tickets, social media and all that? So we do like through Eventbrite. A lot of it's through oh, yeah. social media too. And then we do um, hand-to-hand. So a lot of our students get tickets and they, they sell them and they get a percentage of anything that they sell. That's tight. Yeah. Well, what is the, like, what's the event cost? Just uh, front row is 25 bucks. GA, 15. Super, right. super affordable. And all of our events are very family friendly. So we have a lot of kids that come and dude, that's the best. Like people feed off the energy of those kids. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Because I'm thinking, like, there's a bunch of dudes there. Just a bunch of adults being weird. Like, because I would go, but I wouldn't be, like, a kid. Like, yeah. I would just sit there like a It's walk. It's strange because, like, our events are catered to families, you know? And um, not that it's, like, G-rated and, like, hokey and, and dumb. There's a, there's a lot of violence, you know, controlled violence. Yeah. Um, but if you go to, like, one of the more popular ones, it's a bunch of dudes with neck beards, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very few women. What is, like, is it expensive to go to a WWE event? Um, I don't think it's too bad, especially these days. I think maybe, you know, 20, 30 bucks probably. Oh, what's like, what's front row? Uh, probably a couple hundred. That's not crazy. Yeah. If it's TV. Yeah. A couple hundred. I just think like, cause do you see the Super Bowl tickets? Yeah. Oh, bro. Unreal. Though the cheapest one I could find this cause the Super Bowl is here. That's why I say it. I think it was 4,600 bucks, but when you click on it to buy it with the fees, mm-hmm. it was like over a thousand more. Yeah, so it was like fifty five hundred. That's what I heard. Was I was watching the news the other day, and they said fifty six hundred or something was the cheapest one they had. But if you wanted to sit in row four, it was forty. Was it forty five thousand dollars? It's insane. But if you when then when you click it with the fees, it was like fifty two thousand. So it was like eight thousand dollars in fees. <laughs> which people are like, that? "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, so because we go to games, like if I go to the Vikings, like I'll sit in the front row, or whatever." Because I'm like. I sat in broke seats my whole fucking life. It yeah. sucks. But the fees on top of it are basically like a really good ticket. And that's if the ticket's like 600 bucks, let's say. Yeah. Well, fuck, dude, when your ticket is $45,000, like the fees are like eight grand. I'm like, this is nuts, bro. Yeah. I don't know. Like someone kept asking me, like the Vikings obviously are done. But they're like, hey, if the Vikings make it, would you go? I'm like, well, I have to buy two tickets for my wife and I. And it'd be like $11,000 to sit in the worst fucking seats yeah. in the house in Glendale. I'm like... I don't know, bro. It seems, like a, a it seems like a waste of fucking money and it would have a horrible time and I'd be pissed because then they'd probably lose and I'd really be mad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was wondering like for the WWE shit, like, because what is it? Is WrestleMania still the, the thing? That's the big one. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And those tickets are a lot more. A yeah. Lot more. They're probably looking in the 
Well, you could get decent seats for a couple hundred, but the good, good seats, you're probably going to pay a grand or so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that's like their Super Bowl. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much. That's huge, man. Now it's like over two nights now. Oh, no they shit. Extend, they ex- they've extended it over the past couple of years. That's crazy. Yeah, it's a whole big to-do. It's weird because, like, from the outside, I guess, like anything in life, like, when you when you break it down, like, here's, you know, what the training's like. Here's the the percentage of dudes that really make it. Like, it really is. It's 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 like a different sport, essentially. It is. And that, I always I always compare it to a sport. I always say it's a sport. And people go, oh, it's sports entertainment. I'm like, yeah, it, there's an entertainment piece to it for sure. But taking a physical toll on your body. But is there anybody in there? I mean, there's probably, like, a handful. But everybody in there is an athlete. For the most part. Some way, shape, or for form. For the most yeah. part. The ones that stick around, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially yeah. the dude, all the dudes you know, like you think of like all time guys, like they, even if they're not the freak of the freaks, but most of your favorite dudes were like freaks. Yeah. Like Macho Man's a freak. Yeah. 100%. Like he's a beast. Like Stone Cold Steve Austin's like a real athlete. Yeah. He was a football player. Macho Man was a baseball player, played minor league baseball for the Reds. You yeah. know, like. Uh, who's it? Um, fucking, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh my God, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> Uh, not Kevin Nash. The other dude, he's huge. Big Show? Yeah. Yeah. He played uh, basketball. He played basketball. Wichita State, I think, yeah. he played for. Nash paid for Tennessee. That's what I'm saying. Like, all these yeah. dudes are like, when you really break it down, like, and then Brock is a national champion yeah. and, like, a real fucking monster, they're all, like, legit athletic yeah. dudes. It was very surprising, though, when I, I do get a lot of people that come to the school, and I, ask, I always ask, what's your athletic background? And they have none. Really? And I'm like, why, why do you think you can do this? Now, we like have no athletic background. It seems like just the the work ethic alone and the coordination. And Adrian's training is real. Like, when you really train your 14, 15, 16, it's like your body's on natural steroids. Like, yeah. no, no matter what you're playing, if it's baseball or swimming or gymnastics or basketball, like, there is stuff learned there that you really don't pick up if you're 35. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and when I think about, like, the best dudes of all time, like, they're all just – they tend to be like a, a physical stature. Yeah. Flair was a football player too. He used to be three hundred pounds. You know, lineman. No shit. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. So everyone has that background. It's you know, none of them are none of the best of all time. Like, oh, I just played video games. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that was not a thing for sure. Yeah. Uh, where do these dudes? Um, where do these guys like find you at if they want to look up all your stuff? Uh, so best way to find me is on Instagram at Don Vitale. It's my name. Um, you can check out our school on there too at train and AZ. That's our big hashtag too. And then you guys do a podcast. I do a podcast myself. I don't want to, I don't want to associate any of the, any of the students with it. Cause I do say some stuff that, that could rub people the wrong way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a knucklehead podcast. Um, that's more of a self-improvement uh, podcast where I just kind of go off on different rants, um, and just kind of try to, you know, kickstart people into taking care of shit for their own life. Probably similar to how you coach. I'd yeah, imagine, yeah, very, very. Um, some may say abrasive. Um, I'm just very direct, and I get very emotional—not emotional, but very uh, passionate yeah. about what I do. Well, I think you swear more than me, dude. So you're probably pretty, <laughs> you're probably pretty close. <laughs> I'm glad I asked if I could before right I started. <laughs> uh, it would just be too weird if we would made this PC, man. Yeah, you know, and this—it's just to me, it's more natural. I mean, you know, what's a filter on? Well, and like the whole wrestling world is a little bit to me. It seems like a little rougher. It is. Like overall, it doesn't seem like the. I don't know the nightlife. I don't know all the stuff, and I'm sure everybody's different. But it just seems like it's a. Well, what is the, what was the movie? Um, the wrestler? Oh, bro. Yeah, that's fucking very, brutal. Very close to reality. Oh no shit. Know? Yeah, yeah. God, because Mickey Rourke was rough in Dude, that, bro. Yeah. I think he's had a rough life though too. Yeah. Like his 
later Hollywood years, but yeah, that a true story. No, not a true story. Very, but very relatable to a lot of people. And like in that movie, he was playing someone that was probably from the era we watched people like growing up. Yeah, you know, sad as hell. I've, you know, what was he? Something the Ram, uh, the Ram, Randy the Ram. Was or, it, I think it's something. Ronnie like or Randy? Something I, for, like I forget. That. Yeah, it was sad as fuck. It was. It's a great it was. movie though. Yeah, and I've been, over the years, you know, early on, especially I've seen old timers very similar yeah, to dude. that. You know, it's a sad story and. You know, hopefully times are changing and people are getting a little bit smarter. Well, I think too, if they go to a school like you guys have put together, that's the, there's some of the the underlying principles they can have forever, and not just yeah. like, "Hey, I'm gonna come in here, beat the shit out of myself, do all the drugs, exactly. and hope for the best." It's not a yeah great recipe. Trying to train him for life, not just wrestling. That's my whole deal, you know. And I say, "Hey, you may not last here, and that's okay. Just take the skills you learn here and apply them in real life. That's more important." Yeah, know? dude. So. I dig it, man. This is good, bro. Um, so yeah, uh, website, Dom Vitale.com yep. on Instagram at Dom Vitale train AZ. And then I'll put the knucklehead podcast links below. And if there's somebody who is listening by chance, it's like, Hey man, I want to be a wrestler. Mm -hmm. You just tell them, is there a, some words of wisdom as they start off on their journey, whether they're in Arizona <laughs> or somewhere or somewhere else? Yeah. Figure out how far you want to take this. That's first and foremost. And if you're really serious about it, want to do it at the highest level, because that's all I can speak to, because that's what I train for. Take your fitness seriously and, and take and take this business seriously and, and come in ready. Don't just think that you can kind of skate your way in and everything's going to be easy. It's going to be a long, hard road. But if you if you even if you don't make it to the top, the fucking it's awesome, man. It's so much fun. And you do a lot of cool stuff. It's the journey, man. That's it, man. I dig it, brother. Thank you, dude. This is great. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you guys are on Apple Podcasts, drop it a five-star. Same thing for Spotify. You know the drill. All the podcast sponsors are in the show notes. Uh, the Jeremy Scott Fitness app as well. I'm going to put all of uh, Dom's stuff here. You guys can give him a follow on Instagram. And if you got any questions, feel free to harass him. Just don't be a complete creep when you're there. So uh, I appreciate it, dude. This is good stuff, man. Thank you. Um, thank you, guys, as always. And until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.